Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Second and ten. Holds back again. He's looking. He's looking. He's pumping. He is going deep. And is it a touchdown? I'm awaiting the signal. It is. It is. Touchdown. It goes all the way down. A 22-yard touchdown to Clement. What a great throw by Nick Foles. How about that, Mike Sielski? <laughs> I, I remember sitting in U.S. Bank Stadium watching that play and thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Nick Foles tried to make that throw, yeah. let alone that he made that throw. Yeah, think about the heroes of that Super Bowl. Nick Foles, Corey Clement. Uh, right? Immortals here. and Nelson Aguilar. Yeah. Like all these guys. It was so great. And today is the fifth anniversary, which is why we play that highlight. Good morning, everybody, with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Acknow. It's a brisk. Well, it's more than brisk. It's, it's, a, it's a freezing morning. In the I Valley. can't wait to get on that plane to Phoenix tomorrow, just uh, for the weather. I'll enjoy yourself. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we got so much to talk about as the Eagles are one week away from playing in Super Bowl 57, where we are in the very unusual position of them being favored. Uh, but first off, really good news uh, dropped last night. I don't know if people have heard it yet, but the Eagles re-upped Jeff Stoutland, offensive line coach and uh, running game coordinator, to a multi-year contract to stay in Philadelphia. Apparently some other teams had approached him about becoming their offensive line coach. Mike, I, I don't think you're going to disagree with me. This is obviously really good news for this team. This guy is one of the best position coaches that I could name in the history of football. He has he's at Jeff Stoutland University. Yep. And the timing of it a week before the Super Bowl, right? Everybody gets a lift by that. The the testament to how good a coach Stoutland is is that Nick Sirianni is the third head coach with the Eagles that he has worked under. He came here with Chip Kelly. He worked under Doug Peterson, and Sirianni kept him on staff. And you know, it's interesting, Glenn. I went up to Staten Island, where Statlin is from, on Thursday. I'm doing a, a piece on him for the Inquirer that'll be out next week. And it's rare that an assistant coach in the NFL becomes a cult figure in his, in the city where the team is. But Statlin has become that. Uh, the way the offensive linemen speak of him, uh, the way the Eagles have done so much to try to keep him here and retain him here. Uh, it is. This is nothing but good news if you're an Eagles fan. It's rare that a lead columnist for a major metropolitan newspaper does a column leading up to the Super Bowl on a position coach. Yeah. But so that's, I look forward to that. It's There's can some you, interesting anecdotes out you, there. Can you share the one? I, I, I don't that's want you okay. to blow your column. No, but. it's okay. It's a, it's a great anecdote, and it'll be, in the, it'll be in the piece. So I spoke to, one of the people I spoke to was Stoutland's uh, college roommate and teammate at Southern Connecticut State. 
Uh, and he told me that when he and Stoutland were in freshman year anatomy class together, they would diagram football plays on the top of their desks, but they wouldn't use a pen and paper. They would use M&Ms. And the small regular M&Ms were the skill position players, the quarterbacks, the running backs, and the wide receivers. And the bigger peanut M&Ms were the offensive and defensive linemen. And if uh, the play unfolded and a skill position player was going to get hit, uh, they would crunch that M&M <laughs> and, and, talk, it. Yeah, and talk about how you know one of the peanut guys missed the block. I love that. Like that. That's great. Yeah. I, can't, I look forward to that story, and it is great news about Stalin. All right, uh, Mike, when I used to do the show with Ray Dinger on a regular basis, and by the way, Ray's joining us at noon today. We're going to have Ray kind of break down Eagles versus Chiefs. Uh, and Seth Wickersham, the senior writer for ESPN, is going to join us at 11. We'll talk Eagles. We'll talk. He wrote the book on Brady and the Patriots, so we'll talk about the Tom Brady, the latest in what may be a series of retirements. But Ray and I used to do a feature called Dumb Things People Said This Week, mm -hmm. where I would play something for Ray and he would slap himself in the forehead and go, oh, I knew Skip Bayless when he wasn't. <laughs> Can I just say I'm glad I was never the subject of that segment. No, Thank you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, there were many nominees this week, and I want to start with Julian Love of the New York Giants, who earlier this week was on NFL Network's Good Morning America. Good Morning Football. Good Morning Football. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, Good Morning America is on ABC. Sorry yeah. about that. Good Morning Football, uh, where you you will hear his opinion of Nick Sirianni, as well as all the co-hosts of that show, Cackling Like Morons. Here you go. He's a guy who really is doing a good job because he's not getting his in the way of his team. He has an experienced roster uh, from top to bottom, offense, defense. You see this stuff, though? Like, what's your reaction as a player? And that guy's doing it. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it at all. I mean, he's in it for a free ride right now. You guys can coach this team. And first of all, really nice laugh on that woman. Yeah. God, first, God forbid. Anyway, when he was reacting to Nick mugging on the sideline uh -huh. and making faces and so on, but his bottom line was that Nick is a passenger yes. on this bus, and anybody, well, he's the driver, but anybody could drive it. It's on autopilot. I'm trying to figure out this metaphor. And there's so much talent on the team that Nick's inconsequential. Mike Sielski. Yeah, not true uh, on multiple levels. First of all, if you've spent any time around professional sports, uh, whether you're talking about the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL. What you learn is often the most talented teams and the most talented athletes are the ones who are the hardest to coach. That because you have so much talent at your disposal, you have to keep everybody happy. You have to get you know, high caliber players to buy into a system. So the idea that just because the Eagles are deep and talented, therefore Nick Sirianni's job is easy, is in many respects wrong on its face. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, watch the way they play. This is a well-coached team. This is a team that can go out there and, depending on the opponent it's facing each week, adjust its game plan to attack whatever strengths and or weaknesses an opponent has. We saw it in this postseason against the Giants and against the 49ers. Jalen Hurts, not particularly productive throwing the ball. That's okay. The Eagles will run the ball all day long if they need to. That's just one example of what they've done all year. Uh, I think this is a lot of sour grapes from a guy whose team basically got beat handily three times three by the times. Eagles this season. Yes, and, and the thing is, 
Nick has done a Nick. Listen, the Eagles have a ton of talent, and that's testament to the general manager. It's testament to the owner. It's testament to how he coaches them. But he has also created a culture, which is what a coach does well. Right. You know, you've been around teams. You can have teams of a lot of talent where it goes south. Twenty eleven Eagles, exactly. Um, the players like him. The players respect him. The players want to play for him. He's put together a good staff. It works. It works. His strengths are his ability, I think, to get along with and motivate people. That's a huge part of any coach's job. And by the way, I was thinking about this the other day. Because when they hired Nick, I didn't know anything about him, and we all learned about him in that first news conference. And Mm -hmm. I think every single person without exception had the reaction of, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking about the, the guys they almost hired, the guys they interviewed. Would it have been the same with Josh McDaniels? Would it have worked with Todd Bowles? Would it have worked as well with Jared Mayo or Kellen Winslow? Not Kellen Winslow. Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Kellen Winslow, not him. Kellen Moore. Would it have worked as well? And Probably not. I don't think it would have. No, I don't think so. I think the one thing that Nick brings to the table uh, that is an underrated quality in today's professional sports environment uh, and getting players to respond to you is authenticity. Uh, Look, I don't love the mugging on the sideline either. I didn't care for it, for instance, in Indianapolis when after they beat the Colts, within a week of the Colts firing Frank Wright, Nick's mentor, that he was standing on a bench gesticulating to the fans. I think he's got a little bit of maturing to do in that regard. But having said that, the players don't mind it because it's Nick being Nick. Mm -hmm. And that works nowadays. Players don't want to feel like they're being sold a bill of goods by their head coach. They don't want a guy who says one thing and does another or tells them one thing and doesn't follow up on it. Nick is Nick. And they trust that Nick is going to be Nick, and they respond to that. I think that's a great point, uh, to which Brandon Graham was asked about what Julian Love had to say. You know, people always got something to say when they're at home. So they got some stuff to think about, so I ain't really going to touch too much on it. I just know that Coach Sirianni, is, uh, it don't matter what he did last year with a team that you know nobody thought was going to do much. You know, he ended up getting us to the playoffs, and then for his second year, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get better. You're supposed to bring players in to get uh, to do exactly what you need them to do. And we did that. My favorite part of that is uh, I'm not really going to comment. Um, I, I don't want to like uh, get in a feud with the guy, but that's what people say when they're sitting at home. Yes. So a little, <laughs> little backhanded I, passive aggressive. I love take. any kind of uh, response like that where the victim doesn't know they've been uh, criticized or, or responded to until they kind of look down and see the the pool of blood at their feet from when the, the knife has gone in their belly. Yes. Um, and, and it's interesting because Graham said something I thought that was really insightful after the championship game. I asked him uh, about how did the Eagles get to this point? You know, what was Nick's role in this? You know, how did you guys go from being 4 11 and 1 in 2020 to being a Super Bowl team in 2022? And he said, you know, you guys made fun of Nick because of the flowers and the and mm-hmm. the press conferences, but we all saw what he was and followed him. And, you know, I think one of the things that gets, again, gets kind of undersold nowadays is that so many athletes now express themselves publicly through social media that the idea of a coach being demonstrative or authentic doesn't either doesn't bother them or is an asset. Because they're coming up in an environment where everybody is expressing themselves publicly 
all the time. It's not the environment that I came up in as a you know twenty something in journalism and newspapers. Mm-hmm. It's not the environment you came up in. No, no, no. but it's the norm nowadays. Yep. And it seems to me Sirianni has adjusted to that or you know accepted that pretty well. He gets this generation of players, and they get him. By the way, I understand that Brandon Graham doesn't want to take a shot at Julian Love, but. We can, which is to remind Julian Love, who's obviously not listening at the time, but to remind our listeners that the Eagles in Week 14 played the, the New York Giants, and early in the game when the score was seven to nothing, and it was fourth and seven for the Eagles, I believe they were at the Giants' 41-yard line. Julian Love was called covering Devontae Smith, and here's what happened: Eagles on the season are decent. On fourth down, Hurts back again. He's floating it for Devontae Smith, who makes the catch. The Giants miss, and he walks into the end zone. The Giants gambled, and Hurts went 41 yards for the touchdown, beating Darnay Holmes, who came up, flat out missed him, and trotting into the end zone was Devontae Smith. Well, it was Holmes, but also. It was also Julian Love yeah. that beat on that play. Yeah, that was one of the more memorable plays of the season where you saw these two Giants defensive backs looking like they're going to converge on Devontae and just crush him, and all of a sudden he's caught the ball and sashaying into the end zone. and the Wave, two Giants Waving are, it at both of them. Yeah. yeah. And, anyway. Uh, anyway. Well, there you go. Julian Love, have a great offseason. We wish you the best. We'll <laughs> see you next October. Uh, by the way, let me give the numbers. 215592 Actually, number 215-592-9494. We don't take a ton of calls, but we do try to work your phone calls into every segment. So if you call, we'd love to hear from you. All right. I want to transition to another enemy of the state, and that would be the (laughs) owner of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, who uh, decided to kind of take a shot at Howie Roseman and the Eagles organization, explaining why is it that the Eagles are back in the Super Bowl Again, and the Cowboys for 28 years in a row yeah, are not. And so here's what Jerry Jones had to say. In essence, we're seeing a couple of teams that have had some real success putting it all out there and uh, paying it, paying for it later right. in Philadelphia and, San, and uh, really uh, Los Angeles. Uh, don't think that doesn't pop my head and get my eye as far as doing it, and I know how to do that. And uh, so uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, again, it's a part of uh, uh, what you uh, put in that computer or what comes out, and we'll see, we'll see how uh, it comes. But uh, that's pretty impressive to have two teams in the last two years empty the bucket and get to the Super Bowl. Okay, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I mean, it's obvious what he's saying. He's saying that last year the Rams won by basically – Putting everything. Yes. Trading draft picks, trading signing draft, whoever they right. need to sign. Signing guys to huge contracts, doing it and like, hey, we're going to we're gonna try to get there this year. And it worked out for the Rams. Uh, and the Eagles are doing the same. The Mike? No. The, the Eagles, Eagles are doing the same? The Eagles are not doing the same. First of all, the Eagles have two first-round picks next year. Um, yeah. So the idea that they've emptied the bucket in pursuit of the Super Bowl this year. It, look, what Jerry is doing is is trying to rationalize the fact that the Cowboys haven't been to a cha- NFC Championship game yeah. in 28 years, let alone a Super Bowl. Well, he's thinking long term. Well, yes, you know, I, I and I, I would love to know. <laughs> Which I love. He's thinking long term. I would love to know who's the person in the background you can hear saying "right, right" when Jerry cites the Eagles as a team that goes all in and empties the bucket, because it's not true. No, <laughs> it's just not true, and. You can look at what the Cowboys have done under Jerry 
where you make a long-term commitment to a Dak Prescott and you sign a running back in Ezekiel Elliott, who's now in clear decline. Yep. In the NFL, that's going all in. That's saying, these are the guys we absolutely have to have and we will pay whatever we have to pay to keep them. Yep. What the Eagles are doing is saying, you know, there are certain guys who we're going to keep here long term, but we're going to maintain enough roster flexibility that if an opportunity to acquire A.J. Brown comes up, we can make that move. Uh, we can sign James Bradbury, for instance, to a one-year contract, bring him in and play cornerback. Um, that's kind of the the intelligence and the genius of what Howie Roseman has done. He's allowed to be able to correct mistakes and make big moves whenever the opportunity presents themselves. It's so disingenuous because he knows it's not true. Right. The Eagles have not mortgaged his future. He's smart enough to know that. And as you just pointed out, he has to a large degree done that. He's the one that's got the quarterback with the $190 million contract. The Eagles may have to go there after this year, probably will, and mm-hmm. things will change. But the Eagles got there this year without mortgaging their future and left themselves in good shape uh, via the draft at least. All right, one more, and this is the old one, and I'm not, I'm not going to play it again, but we had Micah Parsons earlier this year saying essentially Jalen Hurts was a system quarterback, and right. I kind of got what he was saying, but it's still, at some point, you got to give Jalen Hurts a lot more credit than that. Um, hey, the Eagles lost twice with Gardner Minshew. I think that narrative kind of stopped, uh, yeah. right? Yes. Okay, so the bottom line, Mike Sielski. How did they manage to get to the Super Bowl considering they had a GM <laughs> who, who sold out they had a no-nothing coach, or a do-nothing coach, I guess, mm-hmm. a system quarterback, a soft schedule, uh, what, a pass in the postseason. What did I leave out? How is it that this Eagles team, which, and by the way, a lot of people have said it's the best Eagles team in history. It will be if it wins, mm-hmm. okay? Which has a very good chance to be the best franchise, the best team in the history of the franchise. How is it that it gets... No respect, asked Rodney Dangerfield. That's a really good question. Um, We were talking about this before the show in that uh, I do feel like Philadelphia is, and I've used this phrase before, like under the dome, right? Like people here don't pay as close attention to what's going on in the national scene. Yeah. In sports, and people in the national scene don't really understand what's going on in Philadelphia. Correct. We're a little parochial, and the rest of the world doesn't see us. It, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I think I think some of it is the residue of what's happened in the past that has gotten the Eagles, in, in some ways, helped to get the Eagles to this point. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Everybody saw the Carson Wentz situation blow up in 2020 and 2021, and everybody pointed out, rightly at the time, that the Eagles were eating so much money to move Wentz, uh, they had poured so many resources into him, traded up twice, given up all these draft picks, et cetera, et cetera, and it didn't work. But they were smart to move on when they did. Yeah. They were smart to bite the bullet they and say, contract. It, it ain't going to work. Yeah. We've got to shift. Jeffrey Lurie talked about this the other day after the championship game, is you've got to make these tough decisions sometimes. And yeah, nationally it's, oh my gosh, can you believe they committed to Carson Wentz? Meanwhile... They they draft Jalen Hurts. They take a chance and it works out. They make some other smart moves, and it's never it's not the big thing that got them here. It's this trade here, this acquisition there, this draft pick here, and it's like uh, what, what's the fable, right? Slow and steady wins the race, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they, they talked to what they did. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I got one quick Jerry Jones anecdote uh, from yesterday, which is a friend of mine, uh, Mike Sokolowski. 
who texted me about this last night, is in New Orleans for a bachelor party, and they're at a very fancy restaurant. I'm guessing what's Commander's uh, Palace? Commander Palace. Yeah, yeah. love that restaurant. Oh. It's great. And Emeralds is tremendous. It's a tourist trap, but anyway, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Jerry Jones is in the restaurant, ah. and he's there with a bunch of guys from Philadelphia for a bachelor party. So the first thing they did is they sent Jerry Jones a shot on top of a napkin that said, Go Birds. <laughs> <laughs> and then, which he, he waved to them, mm-hmm. and then they decided from their table to do an E-A-G-L-E-S oh, chant. And apparently the maitre d', I want to find what he said, the maitre d' came over to the table and said, I wouldn't recommend doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but as they walked out, he was still there. He said, we all walked out and individually went by his table and said, go birds. He was a good spirit about it. So Jerry- I I love uh, Mike- well done. Yeah. Repres- that's representing Philadelphia well. You find Jerry Jones in New Orleans and you give him a hard time. That's great. Jerry, there was an ESPN profile of him a few years ago and the profile was practically soaking in Johnny Walker blue because that's what Jerry drinks. <laughs> oh, they, and I, They sent him one of those. Yeah, they, well, that's like, you know, yeah. $50 a shot. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. But yeah. uh, he must have been drowning his sorrows the other night in New Someday Orleans. I have to tell you the story about how, how I inadvertently bought Jim Nance a bottle of wine at that restaurant. You did? Yeah, during the NCAA finals. I, I don't want to work it okay. now, but it's, it's a good story. I'll tell you sometime. Ah. Uh, Brian and Booth Wynn starts us out. Brian, what's on your mind? Hey, what's going on, fellas? I love listening to you. Thank you. I Thanks, haven't Brian. called in in a couple of years, um, but I just gotta just gotta tell Jerry Jones if what the Eagles are doing right now is wrong, brother. I don't want to be right <laughs> because we have plenty left in the cupboard. Our GM is not only the top GM in the league, but that guy spins all the numbers, and he never comes up doing anything illegal or you know how you want to call that in NFL terms, he's just better at it than everybody else. And I would love to see, after we win the Super Bowl at the draft, maybe another David Ickers thing, we bring a big bucket up, and it's all full. And say, after two and five years, the bucket is still full. Oh, that's good. <laughs> hey, Brian, good thinking. Well done. Thanks, Nicely Brian. done. Draft is in Arizona this year, I think. I think so, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, that's that's the other component that we haven't mentioned with respect to Jerry Jones is – any owner would be frustrated if they've gone 28 years and their franchise hasn't won a Super Bowl. But the fact that Jerry is the general manager and he's getting outfoxed and outsmarted by a guy like Howie Roseman, who is, quote-unquote, not a football not guy. Not a football guy. That's got to stick in his craw. Absolutely right. Let's uh, we'll get John and Maniunk up here before the break. Hi, John. Hey, Glenn. What's up, buddy? We're good, pal. Uh, a couple of... Uh... Um, I think the Eagles are going to win, but my one big worry is how, how are we going to attract Kelsey? Are you going to put a safety on him? I don't think a Kazir White Weber or a linebacker can cover him. Yeah, you know, John, I think they're going to try both Avante Maddox and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Uh, okay. And, you know, I think when we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the game, I think a little bit later with Ray around noon. But, you know, the the, the key more than covering Kelsey, I think, is going to be pressuring and confusing as much as you can Patrick Mahomes. Um, if you go back to that Super Bowl a couple of years ago when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers destroyed the Chiefs, Mahomes was running for his life the whole game, and that's that's the key there. It's not going to be so much can they stay with Kelsey, it's going to be can they get to Mahomes and and keep him from getting the ball downfield. He's so good at finding the seams, Yeah, right? That's what he does. He's covered, 
And then all of a sudden he's between, which is why zone coverage is tough on him, which yes. is what makes me nervous because they're going to do zone coverage. Here's John, and by the way, the Eagles have been very good against tight ends mm-hmm. all year. John, here's what I think. He's going to have nine catches for 98 yards and a touchdown, and the Eagles are going to win. That's what I think. I hope so. He, yeah. Okay, so it's he'll do his damage. Yeah. Their wide receivers are not great. Hardman's out. Mm-hmm. You keep them from doing damage. They have the good young running back. Again, we'll cover all this with Ray later, but to me it's like you give them it's in the NBA. Like, okay, we're giving Jordan 30 points. Yeah. Look, we'll, we'll stop the other guys. Look, they, they couldn't stop Rob Gronkowski five years ago either. Right. He was the Patriots' best offensive player, and they still managed well, to win Well, hopefully they game. don't give up 510 yards this game, but we'll find out. Hey, it's, it's the formula that works, Glenn. I don't know what you're <laughs> complaining with about. It. Yeah. 215-592-9494. As we said, Ray's going to join us at 11. Seth Wickers, uh, at noon, excuse me, Seth Wickersham of ESPN at 11. Uh, and we want to talk to you all day. We are excited a week away from the Super Bowl. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. We'll get to the phones in just a minute. 215-592-9494. All right. Switching gears for a moment, but staying in the theme of dumb things people said this week. <laughs> There's a surplus of it this week. There is. And I think this is the this is this one takes the cake. 
in case you missed the news, Tom Brady once again retired this week. Again? Yes. Uh, which prompted more stupid things to be said. You know what? I don't even want to set it up much more than that, other than to say this is former offensive lineman Sean O'Hara, had a long career mostly with the Giants, center for the Giants, uh, was on the NFL Network soon after Brady retired, and this was Sean O'Hara's take. This is a, a huge moment, not just for Tom Brady, not just for the NFL, but like for all of us. You know, look, uh, people remember where they were when JFK was assassinated. You remember where you were with 9 11. Can I tell you something? Can I interview real quick? He, his first start was a week after 9 11. That's how long right. ago he's been playing. I, was, I came out in the same year as him, 2000, and he's still playing. 23 years. That's a long time. But I, I'm going to remember this. Like, I'm going to remember who I'm, I'm with. Uh, Kyle's going to remember he was in Vegas. Um, you, you're going to remember where you were when Tom Brady announced his official retirement. And it sounds like this one's for real. Are you out of your freaking mind? Uh, listen, I am old enough to remember where I was when Kennedy was assassinated. I was in first grade coming back from lunch when the teacher told us about it, and mm-hmm. we were little kids. And It's one of the moments that scarred my life. I remember where I was when 9-11 occurred, which was driving on the Schuylkill to do the show, hearing Al Morganti tell me that the, tw- the first of the Twin Towers had fallen down. I didn't remember an hour after Brady retired where I was. Never mind what, that. What, what? You're equating the retirement of a professional athlete to two national tragedies. Yes. Like this is this is ridiculous. First of all, bad week for current and former Giants when it comes to <laughs> weighing in on yes. the news of the NFL. Yes. Number one. Number two. This is this to me strikes me as the kind of thing that someone who wants to make a rise in the sports analyst business says to try to garner attention mm. uh, that you, that Sean O'Hara would suggest that the second time that Tom Brady retires is the equivalent or akin to John F. Kennedy's assassination, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, or, and he didn't say this. World-shifting events. Yeah, like not even the, ch- the, like, the, the challenger. I remember where I was. For the Challenger yeah, disaster in 1986, like they're not the same thing. No, they're no, not the same it's, thing it's at all. So disrespectful to that, and I'm not sure that's the word I'm looking for. But off, like you really have to be in a tunnel, yeah. of football yeah. to think that Tom Brady retiring is in any way on par with those other events. Yeah, anyway. You really do. Yeah, and. Okay. Well, that's that's the last of some people things people said. We'll get uh, when we get to the phones in a second. But so Brady is now going to become a broadcaster. And before we go back to the phones, I want to talk about that because he signed last year, mm-hmm. I guess, upon his first retirement or as a futures contract, a ten-year, three hundred and seventy-five million dollar deal to be the lead analyst on Fox, which was put on hold when he went back. And Greg Olson kind of went into that job. Greg Olson will be doing the Super Bowl next week. I like Greg Olson, and I think Greg Olson will be better than Tom Brady. Um, I guess I'll, I'll pose it in the form of a question to you. Uh, I know you like Greg Olson, so we don't have to cover that. Do you think Tom Brady's going to be any good at this? I have no idea. Okay. I have absolutely no idea. To me, this is the ultimate ironic situation if you think about it. Go way, way, way back. When Brady was playing at Michigan— he was Michigan's starting quarterback, and he was good, and they were winning games. And he got supplanted by a bigger name, 
by Drew Henson, who was the big recruit, mm. the two-sport athlete. Mm-hmm. He was going to be Mr. Everything. Yeah. And Brady ended up losing his job, not on merit. It didn't have anything to do with the way Brady was playing. It was simply, well, Drew Henson's got to play because he's Drew Henson. And the same thing's going to happen here, I think, to Greg Olson. You're right. Greg Olson is terrific. He and Kevin Burkhart are going to call that Eagles Chief Super Bowl, and it's going to be excellent. I, I can't guarantee anything about the Super Bowl, but I guarantee that the broadcast is going to be terrific. And Brady's going to come in and take Greg Olson's job, and I have no idea yeah. how good he's going to be as an I, analyst. I think, and maybe it's just me because I live in Philadelphia, I don't think Brady's got a lot of likability. I no, don't. I think you're right. I don't, and we will see how he turns out. I'm guessing, venturing, betting, you remember when they had Joe Montana, the greatest quarterback in football in the history of football, when he retired, mm-hmm. and Joe Montana went into the same gig broadcasting, and he was terrible because yep. he didn't want to say anything. Yep, that's exactly right. And I feel Brady may be the same thing. It, it, you, you, it's rare to get, I think, the golden boy quarterback who is really good at that job. Troy Aikman is and has been for a long time, but Troy Aikman was also a pretty affable guy from what I understand when he was a player. He was smart. He was accommodating. He he didn't hate the media. He didn't look down on anybody. That ain't Tom Brady. No. That ain't no. Tom Brady. I interviewed Aikman a couple of times, and he always was he was a good interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I ever was in a position to interview Brady, but whatever. Uh, and by the way, last thing on this, poor Greg Olson. <sighs> I read that his contract is he gets $10 million a year if he's the A-team broadcaster I think it was two and a half or three million dollars a year if he's not right. So he loses. Brady retires, and uh, you know it may not be as memorable as the JFK assassination. Everybody, <laughs> but to Greg Olson, he just lost seven million bucks. That yeah, time. that that's that ain't right. <laughs> no, that ain't it's right. Not it's, right. It's not and about it's because, merit. And it's yeah. right. It's because one guy's the greatest quarterback ever, and the other guy's a tight end. And if I were it, Greg Olson, I would have no compunction about. It's easy for me to say this, but I would have no compunction about saying to Tom Brady, hey, pal, you better be good. You better be really good. Uh, and putting some pressure on him because, we'll see. We'll see. you know, uh, it ain't right. No, it's not right. Rob and Glenn Olden is with us. Rob, what's going to happen a week from today? Hey, Glenn, I'm, I had a call, guys. Hey, Mike, how, how Hi, are Rob. you? Hi, Rob. Listen, you know, I'm superstitious just like everybody else or a lot of people. So I called up. I wasn't close, but, you know, I said 40 burgers the last two weeks, but they – you know, we couldn't predict knocking out a third-string and a four-string quarterback, but, hey, our defense earned that right to yep. do that. Yep. Um, so that's just oh, – hey, By the way, for people – because I, the narrative out of San Francisco this week is, oh, we would have beat them if they're in the oh, quarter. Yeah, yeah. The Eagles rushed for four touchdowns, four running touchdowns, and the best run defense in the NFL. So apparently the Eagles – I don't I don't think that Brock Purdy had anything to do with that. No, no. And, 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 and I got a score for you at the end. I got two strategic points. One, I like our matchup of our, our wide receivers against their secondary, who I think has a couple of rookies in it. And I like the matchup of our secondary against their wide receivers. Um, and my second point is this. If we can kind of follow, I know TJ just said and done, the blueprint that Tampa, the blueprint that Tampa did a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. where he just rotate guys, and he was healthy in the holes. Now he's going to be healthier, but I still think he's not going to be close, obviously, to 100%. You just rotate guys, just hound him, put pressure on him. I don't see them keeping up with us. And my score, Glenn, and I'm going to get the pasta pick of a hoagie that day because I just got to do it. <laughs> 41. 24 birds, and they're going to score a garbage touchdown at the end and make it 24. I just don't see them. Uh, wow, there you go. Them. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. I hope it's right. Rob from Glen Olden coming in hot with a you know three-score difference there. One correction we got to make first, Glenn, uh, the NFL draft is in Kansas City 
this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew, I knew there was a Super Bowl yeah. tie. That's right. That's right. Oh, it's going to be very disappointing for them uh, <laughs> when they have the 31st pick of the draft. So it's, much confidence here. Well, it's funny. I because I I said that, but I just I'm goofing. People, and I I may do the, the tomorrow when I'm working with Jody. I may make this a theme. Five years ago. We everybody put on the underdog masks mm-hmm. and everybody strutted around. But let's be honest, the Eagles were the underdogs, and this being Philadelphia, deep inside, people had a lot of fatalism. Yes, this time, everybody thinks they're going to win and going away. Yeah, it's it's a different. Pose. It's a weird position it to be is. in as a Philadelphian. I'm not used to having all this. I'm almost. Nervous because I'm so confident. Which, yeah. Does that make sense? If you're from Philadelphia or you've spent any amount of time here, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, we like the fancier like situations where they can root without having anything to lose or feel like they don't have anything to lose. That's why the Phillies, man, house right. money. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's that was the sweet spot of Philadelphia fandom right there. The run the Phillies made, and uh, I think this this season is similar in that regard, in that the Eagles are better than anybody thought they would be. And they're so good that people are looking at this and saying, well, okay, like it's not so uncomfortable to be rooting for the favorite this time around. I find it out. And yet. I do. I find it out. Warren in Gwynedd Valley. Hello, Warren. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Always. How are you doing? Hi, Warren. I I don't like the feeling of, you know, boasting that that the Eagles are going to win, but then feeling that what if they don't? And I put myself out there. It's just... Yes. Like you guys are saying I, right now, it's a, I, I, I it's hear a it. very strange feeling. It's a very odd feeling. I'm and the, entirely the other with thing you. Is the lead up to this is also kind of awkward, where you know you've got a disrespected team and you've got an, an over, you know, appreciated team in Kansas City and, and Andy Reid, where we have to earn the respect as the favorite. And um, and the Kansas City gets all the respect. It's it's another well. Let me ask you a question. Do you think in Kansas? Actually, our next caller lives in Kansas City, so I want to ask him. Do you think Kansas City right now the narrative is, "Hey, we've been to two of the last three Super Bowls. We won one of them, and yet we're the underdog. Nobody believes in us." You think they're playing that out there? Probably, most likely. Mike, does that ever work? You know, I don't know if it works or not. I would wonder. If the shoe were on the other foot and the Chiefs were playing in Philadelphia, meaning that was we, the Philadelphia had the Chiefs as its team and Kansas City yeah. had the Eagles, yeah. would people Are be you- saying, boy, I wonder, I hope Andy manages the clock all right? Or I hope, you know, the I hope I hope our team doesn't take a, a big lead early and then squander it late because that's <laughs> happened a couple of yes, times to him in the that. playoffs. Yeah. I have a, a Tom Brady uh, feeling when you were referencing. Uh, where were you when uh, Tom Brady retired? Yeah. I was thinking, when he goes into broadcasting, I think it's going to be uh, related to the Hindenburg disaster because I think he's going to go down in flames. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Can we make any more historically inappropriate comparisons uh, on this show? Uh, hey, it's Sean O'Hara, baby. Yeah, I know. I he know. started it. I know. He uh, Clay is in Kansas City. Clay, you're an expat, right? We've talked to you a lot. Uh, what, what's the... <laughs> no, no, actually, Glenn, I'm from I'm from here. Oh, you are. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so remind me I'm your a... your connection to Philadelphia. I, I have none other oh. than when I was. Well, you've been up. calling us for a while. Hey, listen, I've been listening to the show for years. Thank God for the Odyssey app because I'm a huge Eagles. Uh, and we appreciate that. I'm just how did that how did that how did happen? that happen, Clay? So when I was, remember Frank Gans and when he took over the the Chiefs back in like 1987. 
The Chiefs were awful. Yeah. They were terrible. And like I'm, I'm like a elementary school kid, and they're trying to force me to be Cowboys, and I knew they're evil. So I just wanted <laughs> to pick a different team. And I loved Buddy Ryan. I loved wow. him in the 46 years. Okay. And they had Reggie and Randall, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go against the grain of being Eagles fan. So I've been called a bandwagon fan before, but who in the hell was jumping on the Eagles bandwagon in 1987? Let's be honest. That's so, it. That, that's yeah, a fair so point, Clay. That, got, yeah. got to admire that that it was those teams that, that drew you into the Eagles, definitely. Yeah, and, and Sunny Ticket makes it real easy in the internet. Like, I follow all the beat writers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Huge fan. Like, I know more about the team than my buddy that lives in Jenkintown. He's always calling me for the Eagles scoop. So. Very cool. Anyway, um, so I will say this. After the Chiefs won Sunday night, I get the, you know, some text like, hey, we're going to beat you guys. But I have heard nothing this week because I'm a well-known Eagles fan, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I've got no dirty messages. No, we're going to kick your butt. I called in uh, to Ike's show earlier this week, and here's my take on this, okay? The Chiefs may have the best three players on the field. Chris Jones is really good. Travis Kelsey is really, really good. And Mahomes is an alien, right? We know that. Mm -hmm. But after that, the next 15 players that are the best players are going to be wearing green. I mean, this team is loaded with talent. And and you made a really good reference, Glenn, when you talked about that Bucks. Beat, beat down the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs' offensive line is not much better. Yeah. Yeah. than it was then. So I mean, they have Creed Humphrey. He's a nice because I do watch a lot of Chiefs games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will just tell you, I don't think they can block the Eagles' front. The Chiefs' defensive ends—they are nowhere like Joey Bosa and the other kid for the 49ers. They're not even Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, they're just guys. I think so I got to hit a break, but I appreciate it, and, and I think. I th- I don't know that I agree the best three players are in the Chiefs because right now I think I might put Hassan Reddick on the best three players. Darn right. And I think the Eagles center and right guard, or center and right tackle are guys who mm-hmm. uh, consider that. But, yeah, if you take the best ten players on the field, seven of them are going to be Eagles. Yeah. Look, I, I again, we said this before the show, Glenn, but I think there is, at their core, this Chiefs team is – basically the same as the Patriots team that the Eagles beat five years ago. You have an all-time great head coach. Back then you had Bill Belichick. This time it's Andy Reid. You have an all-time great quarterback, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. You have an all-time great tight end, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey. Both those teams, though, were top-heavy. And that, that to me, is the key to this whole thing. If the Eagles are able to kind of withstand what Mahomes and Kelsey can do, they should win this game. All right, quick break. 215-592-9494. Mike C- Mike Seals and Glenn Mack now on a Saturday. We are one week away from the Super Bowl 57 Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, I know what I'm about to play occurred a full week ago, so it's really looking back in the rearview mirror. But I heard this this week. I love Brian Baldinger's baldy breakdowns, Mm -hmm. uh, which I look at on Twitter as often as I can. And he did one on Jordan Mailata blocking Joey Bosa. Really, about the whole team mm-hmm. blocking Bosa. Nick Bosa, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Joey is the brother who wanted to fight the fans last week. And that's true, yes. <laughs> right. Nick and the Bosa. fans were ready to fight him oh, back. They were ready to go. Nick Bosa, thank you. Um, and um, But this is Baldy's breakdown of the Eagles, and specifically Mailata blocking Nick Bosa. The story here in this play, and the story of the season, is the Eagles' offensive line. That's Malata on Nick Bosa. Now, 
Not everybody has Malata. But Malata puts Bosa right on his Bosa right here. Like, and not just puts him down. But he's going to gator him. He's going to sit on him. He's going to breathe on him. He's just going to let him know we're here all day. All right? That's just the way Malata plays. Dickerson, Kelsey, they all play the same way. Like, nobody has this mentality on the offensive line in this league like the Eagles do. Baldy, of course, a former offensive lineman himself, and he gets it. And it's just, I love, he, he lies on him, he breathes on him, he lets him know we're here. Great job by Baldy, but, you know, I mean, as you were talking earlier and you're working on a column, what these guys have learned from Jeff Stalin, this the, this offensive line, game in and game out, is so damn good. It is. And, you know, to go back to our previous segment, Glenn, where we were discussing why we think that so many people are reluctant to give the Eagles credit publicly for what's happening here, I wonder if part of it is because... The true strength of this team is the offensive line, and that's not a sexy thing to talk about. Right. Like, it, it would be different if—not that Jalen Hurts has had a bad season or hasn't had a great season. Of course he has, but it's not Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. The key to this is they just freaking block better than you, and they don't allow you to block them on the other side of the yeah, ball. The and so wh- what do you say about that other than— do what Baldy has done and what some other people can do is and get really technical about offensive and defensive line play. Right. The cliche is you win the games in the trenches, but those aren't the guys who get on television. Exactly. Right? And they, 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 you know what? I'm not doing this now, but somewhere along the line, if this offense, if this offensive line had gotten a sexy nickname, mm. right, the Hogs, yeah. it would have might have gotten them a little more attention because they are great. Lou and Mount Laurel is with us. Good morning, Lou. Hey, good morning, Glenn. How are you guys? Doing well, Lou. Thanks. Um, I'll tell you what, Glenn, I don't, I'm not going to remember where I was when Tom Brady retired a first second. I don't remember where I was when he got divorced, but I remember where I was when my life turned around and that was the Haverford Stadium and all because of one Glenn Mack now. Uh, Lou, I appreciate this immensely. This is a story that goes back a long way. Okay. Uh, Lou was a, a teenage goalie playing in Haverford the Hawk. Yes, Proud he, Haverford Hawk. Yes, he was. Lou, I'll let you tell the story because I, I appreciate that that you occasionally remember it, so you can. No, tell I my... remembered all this. I'm telling you, it turned my life around. You, you were the, you were the sunny to my Calogero telling me, "Use your head, see, don't do it, see." <laughs> so he, I, we were. I took what you would call an unwise penalty after the game in the handshake line, after getting probably a couple roughing minors. So I'm leaving the ice, and here, who do I see? Glenn Mack now pulls me aside, and I was wearing number 27. He said, "Son, son, what are you doing?" You have too much talent. You're playing like the guy you're emulating on the number. Use your head. You're too, you're too good for that. And I'll tell you what. Turn my life around to Havertz Stadium. I went, Dad, that guy from the radio lit me up. He goes, good. He, that man's right. You should listen to Glenn. Wow. And that's it. Half to success after that. And Lou is now a, a an educator, a respected uh, man. Elementary community. school principal, yes. father, you name it. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So I got to ask, Lou, you made the Bronx Tale reference here. Did you... Uh, you know, did your wife open the door for you on the car when you went on your first date with her? Uh, yes, she did. I, did. I absolutely. There you go. That's Louis. all you need to know. I, I tried it on my on my Nissan Altima, and then I think after I got in, it was you have the automatic key, right? Okay. Yeah, you're <laughs> Lou, I'm I'm really touched that you remember that, and I, I really and I know you know like what a upstanding member you are in the community. So, what happens next week? I think the Eagles win. I think it's close. And I want to ask you guys, from a, I guess from like a psychological standpoint, how much do you think the fans are going, okay, 
I know it's a different sport, different season. There's no way, and I, I know the Union lost that day too, but there's no way we can drop two major championships with the Phillies losing, so we're going to win. How much do you think psychologically we're kind of talking ourselves, oh, we're just going to kill them, we're, they shouldn't even show up, like the, the Chiefs uh, shouldn't show up. How much do you think from a psychological standpoint, since the Phillies lost, you're going, oh, we're, there's no, we're going to win. Now, I'm not sure that's a factor, Lou. I haven't heard anybody okay. uh, I mean, really I'm kind of citing that, yeah, as a reason why they think the Eagles will, will win. In fact, that thought hadn't occurred to me until you mentioned it, uh, yeah. to be very honest. So I don't think people are looking at it that way. I think they feel okay, pretty good. confident based on the good. team that the Eagles have. Okay, good. We're not used to yeah. it, though. Lou, it's a pleasure. No, thank you, guys. I'll talk Absolutely to you after. Absolutely love you two together on you Saturday. Got it. Thank, thank you, gentlemen. Lou. Appreciate it. Uh, it's very nice he remembers. Yeah, I, I, but to his question, I really yeah. haven't gotten that sense at all. No. That people are saying, oh, well, the, the we can't possibly lose three championships. No, I, I do feel... There's a little bit of we're not used to this spot. Yes. We embrace that underdog role very well. I, I did an interview last week uh, with a podcaster, and he was asking me, what's Philadelphia like now? And the line I use with him, which I think is what you're saying, is the Rocky stuff is real. People yeah. embrace that. Yeah. Uh, and it is. It's an uncomfortable. It's like sitting in a chair that you can't quite get comfortable in. It's hard to get used to the idea that the Eagles are supposed to win the Super Bowl. Right. So there's part of me that says, like, okay, so I'm going to discount that. But then when I look at it, I think, like, well, that's because the Eagles are better. Yeah. They're really good. I yeah. think Bridget in Florida may agree as well. Bridget, what do you think? <laughs> Hello. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Morning, Bridget. Oh, I'm calling from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, so, I started my career in Cocoa Beach, Florida, right down the road. From really? There. Yes. Okay. Yes. My first newspaper yes. job was on that Florida Today paper down there. Yes, I did an interview for the Florida Today paper. It's when we had one of our Phillies, and they asked me, who do you think we should put in? It was one of our past Philly players, and he put him in the next day, and we won the game. There you go. Nice, nice. work by you. Good job. Yeah. So, um, my opinion. Okay, let me ask you guys this. Now, I asked the, the, the guy earlier. Maybe you guys could remember this. Five years ago today, we won our first championship. Now, I remember Tom Brady walking off the field, no congratulations or nothing. We literally just it watched it on the NFL Network. They just played the game as we were doing the show, and i got to be honest, I was nervous on that last play. He but, was. But, yes, yeah. he did. He walked off. He would not shake Nick Foles' hand. You're correct. Yeah. Did he say put something on Twitter? Now, I heard that he said, oh, I couldn't see that because of the smoke. Uh, I believe that Brady, I, I don't know that he put it on Twitter, but I believe over time he has said that it was not intentional. Yes. Okay. But it so has that. happened again. Yes. In subsequent yeah. years where he has snubbed the opposing quarterback. Yeah, see, way. I think that's just wrong because I've seen in the last, every Super Bowl that I watch, I've seen all the quarterbacks hug each other, congratulate each other, the coaches. With him, it was just like, whoop, and I was like, you just, it, I, I just found it disrespectful. And we will hold that grudge against Brady forever, correct? Yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm with you. Absolutely yeah. we will. Um, you know, my colleague Marcus Hayes, our colleague here at WIP, uh, wrote a column after Brady's retirement basically saying, like, look, people think Tom Brady's a good guy because he's a great quarterback. Tom Brady, not that great a guy. Yeah. Uh, so... I encourage people who feel that way to read Marcus's column because he he laid it out pretty laid out a pretty strong case. Two one five. Speaking of Tom Brady, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We will talk with Seth Wickersham coming up, ESPN senior writer who wrote the book. It's better to be feared: the New England Patriots dynasty and the pursuit of greatness. Uh, I believe there's a little bit on Tom Brady in that book. 
Just we'll talk, a tad. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about his uh, the guy covers the NFL. What what a guy, you know, not one of us from Philadelphia. How does he mm-hmm. view it? With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. We're endeavoring to reach Seth Wickersham of ESPN, who we wanted to uh, have come on and talk about. Uh, both the game uh, coming up, the Super Bowl coming up, and Tom Brady. Meanwhile, let's uh, talk to our friend Gary up in Boston. Are they in mourning up there, Gary? Are they, uh, they, is the city able to awaken today? I know there was minus three there yesterday. My son told me that. It is so cold yeah. that I have a gator on in my uh, living room and a and a hat. So wow. that's how cold it is. Well, there you go. My son actually went skiing yesterday for some reason. When it was, he said it was minus thirteen at the uh, base of the mountain. But nonetheless, uh, what? How are they feeling up there right now about the Brady thing? Uh, well, I think when you talk about you know where were you when Tom Brady you know retired. I remember where I was when I heard the insane news that he was going to get $375 million. <laughs> and yeah. I think, what kind of crazy mixed-up world am I living in? I, I mean, the guy's a stiff up here. I mean, it's not as far as being a quarterback, but he's tried commercials. He's terrible in interviews. He's in that crazy movie, that, you know, 80s for Brady's. Oh, the, I the heard, I saw a review for that movie yesterday. Man, that movie got roasted, like being one of the worst movies of the last decade. And yes, he. if you remember uh, Brett Favre's brief acting career in Something About Mary, I am told that he makes Brett Favre look animated. Yeah, I, I just don't get it at all. <laughs> and... Uh, I, it's going to be funny to watch. I, I can't wait to watch uh, the games he analyzes because I can't see him doing anything other than just going crazy and over-preparing and trying to make up for his lack of personality. Yep. I Listen, I you can be great at, at something, and it doesn't make you a great broadcaster. Obviously, the, they'll coach the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings great knowledge to the game, but that doesn't mean he's going to be good at it. So. What do you think about next Sunday? You know, this is the first. You got to realize, I'm still in a recovery group for the '64 Phillies. Yeah. So I have never been uh, optimistic. Always cautiously, so but never optimistic. I, I'm confident. This is the first time in my life. Even two games ago with the Giants, I was not confident. Uh, and last week, I wasn't confident. You know, I was optimistic. I thought they were going to win. But there was still this part of me that was holding back. I got no holding back now. I got it, pal. Uh, I, I hear it, yeah. and it's a it's uh, feeling shared by many. The look, the, the look to the sky for the falling safe. Hey, yes. speaking of Tom Brady. Yes. With White to his right, Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He fumbled. And he fumbles the football, and the Eagles have it. And it's recovered by Bournemouth. Brady fumbles, and Bournemouth has the ball. They finally the hit Brady. Well, that's our favorite Tom Brady play of all time. <laughs> I don't know that our next guest uh, sees it the same way. Seth Wickersham is a senior writer at ESPN. He is the author of It's Better to Be Feared, the New England Patriots Dynasty, and the Pursuit of Greatness. By the way, uh, Sports Illustrated Nonfiction Book of the Year, New York Times bestseller, National Sports Media Association Book of the Year. Not bad. It is an awesome book. Uh, Seth is a good friend. Seth, thanks for coming on with us, man. 
My pleasure. You know, it was funny. I um, I was watching. I was flipping through the channels this morning because that's what I still do, and um, uh, that game was on NFL Network, yeah. and I was trying to think, like, you know, was it a Tom Brady? tribute because he threw for like 1,400 yards in that game? <laughs> or was it, uh, you know, a Philly tribute because they came up with the one stop that they needed to? I couldn't quite figure it out. Maybe both? I don't know. Yeah. We <laughs> were watching and celebrating as well. Well, wow. you were well, celebrating. Well, I, was, we were. I was watching and remembering being on deadline. So, <laughs> Seth, you and I were sitting in Lincoln Financial Field. Good, wait, wait, wait. Really quick. That's a yeah. good, by the way, that's a good story. Like, how many... Tom Brady games have hosed writers on deadline. <laughs> like now, that's an angle that I should have pursued with my book. Yeah, been a lot easier to report. You could have done a whole chapter. Just you know, Tom Curran could have been your source for exactly. the entire chapter. So you and I were sitting in the press box at Lincoln Financial Field before the NFC Championship game last week, and I think I can say this now: you said Tom's going to retire, and then a couple of days later. He did exactly that, and and you wrote a a brilliant piece for ESPN.com, kind of putting his entire career in context. Brady is viewed, I think, around here with both a lot of respect and a lot of disdain because he was such a great player and cost the Eagles a Super Bowl years ago and all of these things. Kind of sum him up for us, put him in perspective with respect to other quarterbacks who have who have been great you know this is something i know you study quite a bit where does he stack up compared to the montanas the unitas's the namaths the marinos name your name your guy yeah it's hard to um it's hard to compare eras right i mean i think that like it's, it's a cop out but it's also true but i do think that you know when you look back at brady's career he developed into the answer for everything. <laughs> you know, I think that, like, before he retired, you know, you'd say, well, who do you want in a Super Bowl? Joe Montana. Or, you know, before he came onto the mm-hmm. scene, who do you want in a Super Bowl? Joe Montana. Who do you want with two minutes left? John Elway. Who do you, you know, it's like, you'd think of all these kind of subcategories. But at this point, when he retired, he was the answer to every question. Who would you want in a Super Bowl? Who would you want? down 25 points in the Super Bowl? Who would you want on third and 15? Who would you want on fourth and 10? I mean, I think that, like, one, you know, unremarkable throw at a time, he's put together a career that it's going to take a long time and a lot of luck for anybody to ever surpass. And, um, you know, I think that the way that Philadelphia views him is the way that he's viewed at large around the country, and that's that, like it's just hard not to respect what he's done. Yeah, although in this town it's we beat him, which will always be part of the of the luster well, here. Well, it's funny, right? He played he played better in the game that Philadelphia beat him than he played in I the know. game that the Eagles lost. In in again, <laughs> here in Philadelphia, that I mean my feeling has always been I think it's a lot of people that's the one that got away. That was the one where the Patriots and Brady didn't bring their A game and the Eagles blew it. Uh so we don't talk about that one. Um <laughs> what um what were his options uh in the NFL? You know, there's a lot of talk, oh San Francisco really wants him, he could go here, he could go there. What were the options if he decided to stay? Well, okay, so I think that, like, if you're just looking from a purely work standpoint, I think his options were, you know, he he's he kind of reached this interesting stature in the sense that he answers to really to nobody at this point. I mean, he answers only to himself, and he could have figured out a way to call whatever terms he wanted 
for whatever team he wanted to go to. And I think that, like, that in itself is pretty amazing. So, obviously, like, I think that, you know, if he, if he had wanted to go to San Francisco, they would have had to make a pretty hard decision. And my gut tells me they probably would have taken him. If he wanted to go to Vegas, um, even if, like, you know, he decided to pull, you know, say, what if he went to Robert Kraft and was like, I want to be a New England Patriot my last year. Mm. That's a pretty hard decision for them. But when you look at the sum of his life and where he is, I think his options were very limited. And I think that that's why, you know, Mike, you and I were talking about it. I said, like, look, I think he's either going to return to Tampa or he's going to retire, and I think he's probably going to retire at the end of the day. And I think that because of the fact that he's a divorced dad now, his life is different. He'll be 46 when the season starts, and that's a lot of time that he's spent away from being, you know, the type of parent that he wants to be. And he's talked about it publicly. He has talked about it publicly where he said, you know, I haven't been as good of a dad as my dad has been to me. And I think that that's something that really weighed on him, especially this year when, you know, his personal life was a mess. And, you know, his marriage ended in a way that he didn't anticipate it ending. And I think that nobody ever knows why a couple gets divorced, but I think that the cost of his life has been something that, he's been public about and his ex-wife has been public about. And so I think that when you really looked at the context of his life, his kids living in, in Miami, I think that that's the, you know, two of his kids living in Miami. I think that's the reason why um, his options were really limited to Tampa or to Miami or to retire. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the main reason why you see him walk away. So he retires uh, the week before, or less than two weeks, I should say, before the Super Bowl. And it's symbolic in a sense that you could look at it as a torch passing, uh, particularly because you have a Super Bowl now where that's going to feature the guy who by consensus is the best quarterback in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes and another quarterback in Jalen Hurts who may or may not be part of this next wave of young terrific quarterbacks who are coming in. I'm curious your perspective on Hertz as somebody who pays a lot of attention to the position is plugged in around the league. What are your thoughts on Jalen Hertz, both how he has played this season and what his future is going to be in the NFL. And I suppose with the Eagles, I mean, it's, it's as close to an ideal start as you would want, especially, um, you know, for a quarterback coming in the second round where there's obviously expectations, but it's a little under the radar. It's not the, quite the same as being, you know, the top overall pick or whatever it is, but it's like they've, he's figured out a way to get better and they figured out a way to deploy him as best possible. Now, I do think that like the way that his career is going, I don't think that you want to expose him to injury as much. And, you know, we were both in the same box last weekend wondering why they're running him yeah. when the game is so clearly decided. There's no chance San Francisco is going to make this thing competitive. Why are you even taking the chance running him? It reminds me a little bit of like when you watch Josh Allen, right? I mean, this guy does spectacular things, and then you see him put in situations where he could be injured that are so easily avoidable. So I think that, like, with Hurts, what we've seen right now is that, like, clearly, clearly it was a terrific pick by Howie. He came into a perfect situation where, you know, the staff has figured out a way to deploy his assets as good as possible. And I think that he's going to get better. I mean, he has the perfect mentality for a quarterback to get better. And, you know, at this point, the things that will hamper him are either 
He loses a will to be great, which I don't see that happening. He gets injured, which could happen. Or he um, suffers from coaching staff turnover, and you know that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Seth Wickersham is our guest, senior writer at ESPN. Follow him on Twitter, at Seth Wickersham. So, Seth, it's a very um, unusual and a bit uncomfortable situation in Philadelphia in which this town is never comfortable being the favorite. We're, we're, yeah. It's an underdog town. Yeah, Mike said earlier. This, we embrace, like to be a little, they like a little bit of angst. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah. embrace Rocky and dog masks yeah. and the whole thing. Uh, the, the Eagles are favored a point, point and a half, whatever it is right now, two points. Um, should the Eagles be favored next Sunday? I don't know. I mean, look, I have certainly, I have people on Twitter who are like, how can you keep picking against the Eagles every week? Which I had because I kept thinking like at some point this kind of fairy tale was going to be exposed. But then I'm sort of like, well, why do you, you know, don't you want me to keep picking against them? <laughs> <laughs> like if they keep winning, but, um, uh, look, they were the best team during the, you know, through what is it? 19 weeks right now. They've been the best team. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to be the best team on Super Bowl Sunday, but I think that like they've earned the right to be favored in the Super Bowl because of the way that they've played during the playoffs and during the regular season. The weird thing about Super Bowls, as you guys know, is that they just they never go according to plan. Like there's just always um, things that happen during the game mm-hmm. that are random, that are you know can't really be explained and are just kind of part of life, but it always ends up happening. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because the game ends up lasting, you know, seven and a half hours or whatever (laughs) it might be. But, like, there's always things that happen that are inexplicable. And how does a team react to that? And that's the main question I have for the the Eagles. It's just that, like, the the Chiefs are a battle-tested team, and they're not going to panic when things go against against the way they want it to go. But or when they're surprised by anything. That said, I mean, the Eagles are sort of built to withstand this. You know, I mean, I just think that, like, the way that they're built up front, um, you know, the, the offensive lines and defensive lines travel well when they're great. And I think that, like, that's probably why. It's just because, you know, look, they've been the best team in the NFL the entire season. It doesn't mean they're, they're clearly the best team. But they have been the best team, and I think that's why you know you see them as a point-and-a-half favorite, which, let's face it, is essentially a toss-up. Seth, what did you know about Nick Sirianni when he got hired by the Eagles, and kind of how has, if at all, your opinion of him changed over the last couple of years? I didn't know much about him. And, you know, I talked to some people in the Colts who were really thrilled for him, who liked him personally and felt like that he was going to do a really good job. I mean, like, I obviously, you know, having studied the Patriots, was thinking that Josh McDaniels, you know, would be a great get the second time around, no matter what. Now I didn't know whether he was going to mesh with Howie too well, um, but you know, when 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 he, that ended up not working out pretty quickly, I thought that maybe the Eagles had not landed the best coach that they possibly could. But I think that like clearly, Coach Sirianni has not only proven to be, um, you know, a terrific head coach in the NFL, but he's also He's coached within his personality. I mean, that team feels like it's an extension of the things that he values, and I think that that's hard. And I think that maybe, again, it's because I've I've been sort of like I had my head in New England Patriots land forever. It's hard for a lot of those guys to, you know, coach within their own personality 
and not just be extensions of what it is they think Bill Belichick should be doing or saying at any given time, um, because he's just such a powerful cultural and 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 um, uh, you know football force mm-hmm. um, and presence. But like I, I think that like that's what's impressed me most about Coach Sirianni is just that like here's a guy who came into uh, you know I think it's a it's a difficult situation. You're replacing a guy who won a Super Bowl and um, you know, has figured out a way to coach that team in a way that reflects the things that he values. It's a smart and a tough team. And, um, you know, I, I, that's, that's harder than people realize, I think. It, you know, you see, like, look at Matt LaFleur. For instance. Yeah. Like, I'm not picking on Matt, but it's like, what do the Packers, what are the Packers that, that are a reflection of the things that he values? I don't know if you could really tell, like, you know, what what it is exactly? It's not to say that he's not a really good coach because he's won a ton of games, but it's like, you know, are is that team him, and are we seeing the things that he values played out on the field um, on both Sundays? I think that like you know with Coach Sirianni, I think that like that team's loose in a way, um, but also tough and paying attention to details in a way that I think that like again reflects him. Yeah, I uh, and and shockingly, we weren't so sure of him when they first hired him. Uh, yeah. Last question for me, Nick. Uh, two-parter. Seth. Seth, excuse me. Jesus, I'm sorry. That's Seth. okay. It's okay. I, uh, you know, He's I, been I, called I'll worse. A, I'll, be take that as a, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, I, I, know that I actually, they just this, had Nick this, Bo- As we're talking, Nick Bosa just had a sack. They're replaying mm-hmm. that Super Bowl, and I'm looking at Nick Bosa. Seth, last question for me, two-parter. Uh, if the Eagles win, it will be because of this. If the Chiefs win, it will be because of that. Um, if the Eagles win, it'll be because their pass rush completely destroys Kansas City's offensive line. And if the Chiefs win, if the Chiefs win, I think it's because they'll figure out a way to get explosive plays on offense um, against the Eagles' defense. I mean, I think that like, look, the Eagles are going to be able to move the ball against the Chiefs. I think that like, um, you know, I, I think that they'll be able to put up some points. I don't think they're going to put up like 45 points, but I think they're going to be able to, you know, score some points on the Chiefs. And I think that like we think of the Chiefs as an explosive offense because of Tyreek Hill, but really, you know, they're not. They're kind of a ball control type of offense. And I think that like that plays into the Eagles' hands. But I do think if they can figure out a way to manufacture explosive plays, um, that will be a you know a difference maker. But in the same sense, if like the the Eagles do what they've done. All year long, which is dominate up front, I think it's going to be pretty difficult. How much does the uh, last one for me, Seth? How much uh, does the ankle injury affect Mahomes and impact the game? Do you think, from what you've seen of him so far? I mean, I think that it impacts things, but I don't think that it's the same thing with Hertz's shoulder. It's like you know, I don't know if it totally impacts things until all of a sudden it does. Like if someone rolls on it, if Hertz is hit on that shoulder or is driven into the ground on it, you know, then I think those injuries can become a key difference. But I do think that like, you know, we saw what Patrick did last week, just gutting out an amazing win um, against Cincinnati and relying on that ankle for some of the most, you know, decisive plays of the game. I think that with a little bit of time off, you know, he'll be ready to go. Yeah. That le- the last play, the roughing play. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he he. That was impressive. It was. Uh, Seth Wickersham, follow him on Twitter at Seth Wickersham ESPN. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, man. My pleasure, guys. Thank All you. Right, Thanks, care. Seth. There you go. This is Nick.
I can't get them. I tried. Nick, are you with us? Hello, Nick. Nick is... I can't get it off. Not ready. No, no. That's okay. Nick's having some issues with somebody there, it sounds like. He was that... He was... That's okay. I went to him kind of suddenly. uh, And thanks to Seth Wickersham. Um... All right. Was, so, you should read Seth's book. Anybody who listened to that interview, if you want to understand Tom Brady, you should read Seth's book. I'll read his next book. Okay. You don't want to understand Tom Brady? What's nah, your problem? Nah, nah. This what? is, no, 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 this no, is Nick. I, Nick, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Today. Yeah, we're, we're discussing our projects for the weekend. We're I got it. Over no problem. Tuesday. Here's my thing. I have no love for Tom Brady. I don't have any hate. I don't want him to, you know, God forbid... I, don't, I have no ill you will. You don't wish him, ill but, will. I got it. Right. But I have no empathy and no sympathy as a human for this dude. And now he's going to roll my one game a week for me? <laughs> as a broadcaster? <laughs> Seriously? Do you think the rest of the country feels the way we do, or do we feel this way because no. of Super Bowl Thirty Nine and because he wouldn't shake Nick Foles' hand? I got Nicks everywhere. Well, yeah. Because he wouldn't shake Nick it's Foles' hand. It's raining Nicks. Right. right. Do we, do we like in San Diego, where they don't even have a team, in Denver, in Miami, do they feel this way about Brady? I think we have more hate in a geographical area than, than a lot of other places that aren't aren't related to New England and, and Philly. But in the grand scheme, I think 75% of the country can't stand New England, the dynasty. Look, Everybody accepts they cheated at least two Super Bowls. Like everybody accepts that. The league kind of hides it, and you know, and if somehow that didn't happen, it happened. We know this. So, but uh, here's here's my last thing about ahead. broadcasting. Like I, I feel I feel for Greg Olson because you know I, I I can't stand Tom Brady, so I have more empathy for him for Greg Olson than Tom Brady. But he ruined that last broadcast with Burkhart. Like, uh, how did he so do many- that? Well, it seemed like there were so many important players. Like, I saw the injury. I don't know if it was. A, I don't know if it was an injury to Purdy, but I saw right away how how impactful that play was. And they kind of went to commercial and forgot about it until they saw people on the sideline. They didn't even bring that play up until until well, they. Yeah. Well, I, Nick, first of all, thank you so much for the call. I think this the key solution here is to have you be the analyst from now on because you picked <laughs> up on it right away. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, mean, I, 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 I think I think Olsen is really good. And, I do too. And number two, listen to Greg Olson analyze the game. Then listen to Tony Romo and tell me how bad Greg Olson is because Greg Olson is incredible next to Tony Romo. Tony Romo's terrible. Uh, no disagreement. All right, coming up. Ooh, Mike and I both stumbled upon what we think are terrific TV shows this week. All right, it is time for What We're Watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. So here's the thing. Everybody's got a week before the Super Bowl. There is no football this Mm -hmm. weekend. I don't think anybody cares about anything going on around the Pro Bowl. You're not plugged into the NHL All-Star Weekend? I am not. I could Give not two hoots about the NHL All-Star <laughs> Weekend. Kevin Hayes, man, come and on. And so everybody's got time to watch TV shows, and you and I both found shows we really like. 
You go first because the show you're watching is one that I actually was scouting, and I think if if you like it, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I I like it a lot, and it is called Shrinking, and it is on Apple TV Plus, and it is from the creators of the popular Apple TV Plus series, Ted Lasso. That's good Uh, already. Yeah, the two guys who were behind Ted Lasso, Bill Lawrence, producer, and a guy who some listeners uh, may know named Brett Goldstein, who writes and works on Ted Lasso and plays Roy Kent on that show or behind oh, yeah, yeah. shrinking. Ah, okay. So the premise is that uh, Jason Siegel, who you may know from movies and how I met your mother and all kinds of different stuff, uh, is a psychiatrist and his wife has died in a car accident the year before and he is struggling in the aftermath. And while that's not the setup for what you would think would be a funny show, this is a very funny show. Darker than Ted Lasso, but still very sweet. Uh, has a terrific ensemble cast that includes a very funny, very dry Harrison Ford. Yeah. As one of the other psychiatrists in the practice, uh, Jason Siegel's mentor. Uh, just really good all around. Um, two or three episodes in, uh, my wife and I are both enjoying it. Laughing. Has that element of sweetness that Ted Lasso has. Uh, recommended very highly. I give it three and a half stars. Glenn, you're going to want to watch it, and I, knowing you, you will binge it. You will nice. You will watch the first episode. This each is of the week. Each of them is about 40, 35 to forty minutes long. It's not a big ask of a watch, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Apple TV Plus shrinking. Yes. Okay. I'm in. The show that I am watching, I think you would like, and I think most people would like, which is called Poker Face on Peacock, which has a lot of ads running, including on this station. I'm in love with the show. I'm in love with the show because it's not like every other show in 2023. It's like shows I watched back in 1985. Now, Uh that may not sound like a great endorsement. No, that's my wheelhouse, man. But here's the thing. I mean by that, it's the kind of show, particularly NBC, and Peacock is an NBC thing, specialized in back then, Columbo and Matlock and the Rockford Files, where you sit down for an hour, Mike, and you watch a working class private eye get beat up, but get the best of the rich and famous who always underrate him. Mm-hmm. It's Columbo. It's, it's, and, and it stars, in this case, Natasha Lyonne, oh, okay. who was great in Orange is the New Black, who was great in Russian Doll, two shows I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. She's Peter Falk all over again. Wow. She's got the raspy voice. She's the working class. She's driving a rattle trap of a car. <laughs> uh, and she's like, I got one more question. <laughs> uh, as she traps the murderer who thinks that he's going to get away with it. I know that may sound corny, but it's not. It mm-hmm. comes off really well. The, most of the shows that I get hooked up, hooked on are so-called prestige shows, mm-hmm. right? And it's the ones I offer from recommend with a season-long plot line. And a big budget. This one opens every week where you get to see the setup, the guest character. And they got good guest characters, by the way. And the murder take place before she even enters the show 10 to 15 minutes in. So the question isn't who done it, because you know that. It's how this quirky, kooky character is going to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, the show is written and produced by Rian Johnson. Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Yeah who did Knives Out, who did Glass Onion, which I watched recently, mm-hmm. who really knows how to set up a mystery. Um, again, though, you know who did it, but they're really adept at dropping little clues along the way. 
my kids used to read these books called Encyclopedia Brown. Sure. Right? Remember those oh, little yeah. mysteries? This has got a little bit of that in okay. it. It's like, oh, go back and see. The car tire was on the hose, so the water couldn't have come out. And it's like you get these little clues along the way that help you solve it along with her. Um, there's, um, there's a good backstory here in the show, which is that Natasha Leone's character is on the run from the mob because of what happens in the first case. So she's always on the road. She's in a new town every week. She's in New Mexico one week in the panhandle of Texas, and she's trying to stay away from the people who are trying to murder her. And at the same time, everywhere she goes, somebody's getting killed. Oh, my gosh. Um, But it's great. Um, And the name of the series is Poker Face. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's also, the last thing I'll say on this is she's also got... One of the the parts of her character is she's got this innate ability to tell when anyone is lying. Oh. Which is, she was a great poker player, but she was so good that she's been banned everywhere, and it's one of the reasons that people are after her. So, here, here's my question. Is each uh-huh. episode its own yes. self-contained Correct. thing? You don't have to watch them in okay. order. Uh, unlike most shows, which like this buildup, every episode has a beginning, a middle, and and an end, and you can watch any of them, which is a rare thing these days. It is, and I'll be very honest, Glenn. My favorite show of all time is the first nine or ten years of Law and Order. Okay, okay yeah. I watch those over yeah, and over again that. to yeah. this day. Yep. And part of the reason I love them so much is for the very reason that you just said. Each episode is its own thing. Yep. And you never get the feeling that you have to make a long-term commitment to watch. Correct. Oh my gosh, I got to binge watch the next three seasons. I know binging is the way to watch TV nowadays. I don't do it very frequently because I shy away from making that kind of commitment to a TV show right away. Five episodes in, I love Poker Face. I highly recommend Poker Face. Very good guest stars, Adrian Brody, uh, Lil Rel Howery, Nick Nolte, oh, Rhea wow. Perlman, Ron Perlman. They're not Your related. friend Nick Nolte. My, I was in a scene with Nick Nolte yeah. in a movie. That is correct. Anyway, I love this show. Solid A, five episodes in. Poker Face is terrific. And you say? I say three and a half stars to Shrinking. Uh, absolutely great. Uh, definitely recommend it. There you go. So, everybody, this will give you something to do until next Sunday. Sean in Chad's Ford uh, joins us this morning. Hi, Sean. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great. Doing great, Sean. So, I've got, I've got one, ish, one, one point of clarity. I disagree with your assessment of shrinking. I give it five stars. It's a great show. That's, ah, okay. That's not why I called <laughs> Wow, I, oh, I, I only graded on a four-star scale, so, you so you're giving an extra star. Wait, you gave three and a half out of four. Five. Sean, you give it five out of five. I, yeah, absolutely. So, oh, right. I gotta, well, I'm um, going out to a play tonight. i got to start this thing. You do. <laughs> you, you will laugh. Just, sorry, Sean, don't mean to interrupt. The second episode, Jason Siegel does a Gary Oldman impression that is both oh, obscure yeah. and okay. brilliant at the same say, time. There's not a lot of market for it's, that one. But you know what? It's so good. It's okay. so funny. All Go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, so, someone someone mentioned it earlier in in the day that in order for Kansas City to win, it's got to be explosive big plays on offense, and and that leads me to believe that it's Kelsey that's going to be doing it. And Kelsey's just going to eat us apart if we play zone defense. So my, you know, I think we, I think the the key to us is got to play man defense, and you, you got to cover cover Kelsey with Bradbury. And if we can find a way to do that, because if you if you look back at Bradbury's career, he has a lot of experience shutting down big receivers like Mike Evans. They play him twice a year. I mean, I I had Mike Evans in fantasy years for years on end. 
And I would always be, oh, no, they're playing Carolina again because Bradbury's going to shut them down. So I think Bradbury would do a great job shadowing Kelsey and limiting some of those big plays that KC relies on. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's interesting. You know, George Kittle did not have a big game. Now, granted, he didn't have anybody to throw the ball to him during the course of the NFC Championship game. But I, I would be a little surprised if it were Bradbury. And I do think that Jonathan Gannon has has played a little bit more man in recent weeks. Uh, but, you know, you have a couple of guys who have experience covering tight ends who are good slot corner safeties in Maddox and Gardner Johnson. I would think you'd put one of those guys on, on Kelsey if you're going to play a man. So the story yesterday is that Maddox was in the walking boot. He was out of practice, but they rested a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, rest. they always give you the designation resting player. Yes. But he was resting player, but supposedly people who were there saw him in the walking boot. Well, he apparently was practicing today. Oh, what I've seen good. on Twitter. That, oh, that good, he, good. He shook hands with Nick Sirianni. <laughs> I saw somebody say that. So I think, I think he's all right, I think. Because that would be a concern. It would. Given what you just said, they need him out there. I, I, I think they do. I think... Their defense, as much as they suffered offensively without Jalen Hurts, and they clearly did, not having Maddox for those couple of games hurt the defense almost as much. Mm. By the way, one other show I haven't started, but everybody says this is the show of the year, is uh, The Last of Us Yes, on HBO Max. I've heard good things about this, too. Um, apparently, the last episode, there's yes. only like two or three episodes three. so far. Epis- episode three. But the most recent one is supposed to be an incredible episode of television it's great etc etc you're reading the same people i'm reading because that's what i have heard yeah you know i haven't seen it yet to know one way or another Uh, it's going to be hard to beat season two of law and order as far as i'm concerned (laughs) hey that's me again i like columbo (laughs) columbo is one of my all-time favorite shows uh i i was not into columbo really Um, no but my mom is that an age thing yeah but it went on forever my mom loved the rockford files Big J- yeah. James Garner. My mom fan. did too. My mom loved Jim James Garner. My dad, when he was younger, looked like James Garner. Wow. And I, I think there was a bit of him. Yeah, my dad was good. Marv Macnow is, is good looking. The the, the diet James Gardner, right there. That's my dad. All right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Looking forward to talking to you, Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow. Hey, if this cold winter we are enduring today, what was it? Eighteen, I think, when I stepped out of my house this morning. Oof. If it has not yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, well. Maybe the great people at Got It Door and Window can help by giving you one more month to do so at the best prices of the year. If you have not taken advantage of Got It's Big Winter Sale, this is your last chance to do it. You can receive 40% off every window and door. Yes, 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window, and it also includes free high-performance low-E glass. And you also get 40% off of any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. You can also buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer's going to expire at the end of February. Don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows and doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Here's Sippus, eight yards deep, steps forward, and it's blocked. It's blocked, and it's rolling around, and it is picked up by the Eagles, and running down the sideline with it is Aaron Sippus. He almost picked up a first down, but he didn't, and the Giants are going to have the football inside the 20. 
Not only did he not get the first down, and by the way, great effort by Sipos. Oh, it was it was terrific. However, you he get, was injured on the play. You get Aaron Sipos in open space and let him create. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. On that play in week 14, uh, Aaron Sippus sustained a torn deltoid ligament and high ankle sprain in his plant leg. He has been out ever since. We have been suffering with this guy, Kern, punting. Who's Brett Kern. A disaster, but they would set the activation clock for Sippus yesterday, is what they, what they say. And Basically, he, yes. He may play in the Super Bowl. Dr. David Gelt, our friend from Cooper Bone & Joint, is with Bone & Joint, excuse me, is with us now. Dr. Gelt, what can you tell us about a torn deltoid ligament? Well, we know about high ankle sprains, but in the plant yeah. leg and what, you know, again, the timetable, that was week 14. This is what, week 20, 21, so really a month and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we count on good punting in the Super Bowl? Yeah, so first off, the, the deltoid ligament is the, the it's a thick ligament on the inside part of the ankle. So a lot of times when you think of an ankle sprain, you, you twist your ankle outside and you sprain these little flimsy ligaments on the outside. But sometimes you put it inside and... You know, they showed the the video a couple times. His uh, his leg was just went in pretty awkwardly uh, yeah. when he fell down. Um, so that thick ligament, if it gets irritated or stretched out or even torn, it can take a lot longer to heal just because it's once thicker, it takes more force to injure it. Um, and then you have the high ankle sprain that we talked about last week too. On top of that, so you have some ankle instability, irritation, you have difficulty with planting or turning, and being a punter, obviously, you need your feet. So that's the the biggest issue. So. That type of thing, you know, you need a good six to eight weeks for it to heal. Um, fortunately, I didn't need any surgery. Um, so now it's about that time frame so we can see if he can go out and punt. Now, doctor, this is only the second most important high ankle sprain involved in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Here's the first one. <laughs> so now that Mahomes will have had, you know, two weeks since the last time he played on this ankle, how much healthier, more mobile should we expect him to be? If, if we can know such a thing. Yeah, I mean, time is always the best thing for, for treating this type of issue. Um, again, surprisingly, he he was never in a boot that I saw or that I read. Um, you know, he definitely was limited a little bit in his, uh, his game last week, but um, I think with an extra week off now, um, I think it just has more time to heal so uh, he can get back to his, his normal self, which is not a good thing for the Eagles. Uh, well, yeah, okay. You didn't have to put it that way, Doc. Wow, yeah. You know. Really? You must be fun at parties, Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't kill the mood. Real. We're trying to be real. We're feeling good about it. Hey, man. Listen, the thing is, the fact that we're talking to you about a punter as our lead suggests that the Eagles are very healthy. So yeah, their their success has not really aided this feature that much this year, but we're okay with that, and I'm sure you are as well. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts going into the game? I'm feeling good. I think uh, you know, I think they can the fact that we're I I'm still we're, as you know, we're not very good at being a, a favorite, so I think we're what, one and a half points favorites right now. But I think we're we're doing well. We're playing well. Um, I still think we can pull out the victory. How are you watching the game, and who are you watching with? I'm uh, gonna watch it at home. Uh, have some family, some friends come over. I think um, nothing too crazy. Um, my partner, Mark, uh, Mark Pollard, he actually I think is going to the game. So if you guys are there, what guys, he's wow. going to the game. Uh, yeah, he'll be at the game. How'd he score oh, those tickets? Those and, wh- and why didn't he call uh, me? Those, Hello? Those tickets are like 7000 so, bucks a piece. Practice must be going yeah. well. So I think he may be calling you from the Super Bowl, so make sure you... Oh, that's not yeah, the worst thing in the world. No. Exactly no, right. Doing all right. Doing Sweet. all right. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Geld, but, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. 
Uh, hopefully we have a victory next weekend. Uh, I All believe right. that's going to happen. Thank uh, you, Doctor. Doctor David Gelf from Cooper Bone and Joint. There you go. Uh, yeah, I do like the fact that like we have struggled this year to find things to talk yeah. about with those doctors. Yeah, uh, I mean, think think back to 2017. We've been making right. references to it throughout right. the show. I Jason mean, Jason Peters week, Darren Sproles week. Yeah, Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz week. week. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my they gosh. Were, they were losing guys all the time. They've lost guys, but they've come back. Yeah. It's an unusual. Again, he kind of said it, and I've told you this earlier. It just feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. Having the Eagles as a favorite and, uh, listen, uh, you're going to give your score uh, before the end of the day. No, it, actually, no, you shouldn't do that. Are you, wait, hold on. Time out. Okay. Let, let, me, let me talk to myself. All right. So normally what we do is we give the score the day before the game or the day of the game, depending when the guy's on, because I like to build up the drama. However, if Mike Sealski is actually going to be predicting the score in the paper, mm-hmm. well, I'd actually like to even scoop that and get the score from him today. So what should I do? I have a dilemma. Well, the score is already online because the column is already online. Oh, the column's posted. Oh, okay. yeah. The column's well, out okay. there. 1230, you're predicting the score. Sounds good. And everybody, just stay off Inquire.com for another hour yeah. or so. Okay. Yeah, we got we got Ray coming on. People are yeah. going to be on Inquire.com. That's right. David and yeah. Cherry Hill. What are you okay. thinking, David? That's me. That's you. Hi, David. Hey, good morning. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks for for uh, taking me this morning. Um, I a disclaimer though, right off the bat, I, I'm not. I, I like the Eagles, but I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But right. the reason I, I'm I'm rooting for the uh, for the Eagles is because um my grandson is a big uh, who happens to be in the car with me. Uh, we're on the way to his flag football. He's a big Eagles fan, okay, and he's rooting for him. So I'm going there. My my point is, and I and I won't take up much more time, is that I think we're underestimating Andy Reid. Um, and I and I know the history. Obviously, you know he had his ten years here, so it's kind of split. Some people like him, some people don't. But he's got the experience. He's a winner. He's been he, in and he's been in in Super Bowls before, and he's got an offensive mind, and he's got two weeks to prepare for the Eagles. I don't know if you remember in the last game, they, they attempted that hook and ladder play. Yeah, he mm-hmm. just he comes up with a lot of different things, and I just think that I know that hey, he's got the history with the Eagle fans and things, but don't. I don't I, I, I don't know that I buy your premise that we underestimate Reed. I think everybody in town respects Reed. Not everybody likes him, but I certainly think everybody respects him. Uh, let me ask you a question. Although I anticipate your answer. Who would you rather have as as a coach right now, Andy Reid or let, let's say let's say Mike Tomlin retires? Okay, perish the thought. Who would you rather have a coach for your Steelers now, Andy Reid or Nick Sirianni? That's a, that's a great great question. Um, you know, uh, don't lie in front I, of that kid. <laughs> no, no, no. I know I can't do it. I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't want either one because you know about you know what the Steelers are about, and obviously, I live in the '80s. You know, uh, Jack Lambert. I think he was the greatest middle linebacker at two fifteen. Uh, so, I, uh, I, so I, your I, answer is you want three yards in a cloud of dust, coach? That's what you want? That's it. All I right. still think defense wins championships. All right, well, uh, that's fine. And by the way, the Eagles' defense is pretty good this year. I, I, I think, understand they're offensive coaches, yeah. but okay. I, I think David's been hitting the Iron City a little bit, <laughs> a little early. Um, just, a bit. but you know what, Glenn? It is an interesting question: the the Reed versus Sirianni thing, and because part of it is that we are conditioned here in Philadelphia, if you were around for Andy's tenure, to know that Andy and in-game adjustments. Mm-hmm. Don't exactly always go together. As great a coach as he is, and I think he's he's a 
top 10 all-time NFL coach, surefire Hall of Famer. Um, Nick Sirianni and his coaching staff adjust game to game and within the game very, very well. And I think that could be a factor come Sunday. I do too. It is interesting to realize that there is not one time this year where the Eagles ever had to call, or last year, had to call a timeout because the play didn't come in on time. Mm. And that was a regular thing with him. Yes. Yeah. There was always it, one or two blown timeouts a game. You saw Kyle Shanahan had three of them last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Now, he was cycling through quarterbacks. Yeah, like He, he you know. had some excuses. But you never, ever, ever see that with the staff. And by the way, one of the best things that Nick did, and he drew some criticism at the time for it, but I thought, I get it. Make, it makes sense to me. Was he said, I'm going to give up the play calling mm-hmm. during the game. Yes. Because I want to focus on everything. And some people saw that as a as a failure on his part, an admission of inability on his part. I didn't. And by the way, it's worked great. Yeah, it, it, it's been a boon. And, you know, he may lose Shane Steichen because of it. I believe it's been reported Steichen is interviewing for the second time with the Indianapolis Colts. He has that interview today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's worked to the tune of 16-3 and three and favoring in the Super Bowl. Yep. Let's talk to Mitchell in Center City. What's happening Gentlemen, this morning, Mitch? Happy Saturday. You Hi, too. Mitchie. You know, my hat's off this organization. A few years ago, you know, we were talking about how bad Chip Kelly was. We snap our fingers, ba-ba. We went to Super Bowl five years ago. We're, we're in it again. And, and I think this defense is, is so hungry, you know, and, and there's nothing to worry about because Mahomes, I think, is hit and miss. He's still injured. And, you know, our coaching staff, you, you guys were talking about, are – it's a pure. We're we're working like a well-oiled machine. Everybody is. This feels so right. It feels like five years ago, guys. You know, it's. Uh, it, uh, I hope you're right. It, it's interesting, Mitch. Uh, to me, yeah. it doesn't feel like five years ago. I feel like the the underdog element of that team made the whole run. It just yeah. felt different. It was more. Um, you could. You. It was more tactile. I guess you could really feel it in a way that is not quite at the same level this year. I don't mean to suggest people aren't excited, but it, yeah. there was something different about that 17-18 run. I mean, I was watching that Philly special play with uh, Foles. It's like, we have a very Philly special. It's it's, it's Jalen Hurts. He's uh, yep. he's the captain. When, when this guy's there, it's, uh, it's so, amazing. So, Mitch, we're going through a freezing couple of days. Uh, what yeah. does that mean for Cone Brothers? Like Hard- yeah, I was going to say, what does that mean for the hardware store? Well, you know, some heaters and weather stripping and stuff, and uh, now we're getting ready for Valentine's Day a little bit. we got flowers here, but, uh, you know, we like cold. It'd be nice to snow. My God, I have shovels that have dust on them. Uh, so. I, I, I understand. That's a selfish <laughs> opinion on your part. Be well. <laughs> yeah. Stay well, Mitch. Always nice to talk to you. Uh, when I think of Valentine's Day, mm. I think of my local hardware store. Absolutely. I mean, get me some number four sandpaper for my loved one. <laughs> 215-592-9494. Stay on hold. But coming up, we're going to talk to the great Ray Didinger. Get his take. Get Ray to do the uh, the comparison. We have anybody break it down. Eagles, Kansas City, and see if Ray's as confident. Back goes Foles, fires, slant, touchdown! Zach Ertz! He caught it, he bobbled it, and he never let it drop. And he finished with the football. See, Merrill knew. Meanwhile, on TV, Chris Collins were like, I don't think he caught it. (laughs) Brady's going to have a big comeback. The most excruciating two and a half minutes in Philadelphia football history was waiting for 
the referee signaled that Zach Ertz had indeed caught the football and broken the plane of the goal line, and it was indeed a go-ahead touchdown. It was, and it was a great moment, and it was a great day, and we know that Ray Dinger was in Minneapolis that day, got to celebrate with his son afterward. By the way, tomorrow, Ray will be in Wayne, Pennsylvania, at the Wheelhouse on Lancaster Avenue from noon to 2. He's got a book signing going on there, so Ray, people should come out. It's a Sunday with no football, right? You're going to get a huge crowd. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably so. I'm hoping so, anyway. Yeah. I also, uh, in the same vein, I should mention, I just got an email um, like an hour ago from uh, Bob McMahon, uh, former mayor of media, alerting me, and I will now alert your audience, that tomorrow, that uh, on Sunday there will be a Delco Birds pep rally parade well, there in, you go. In, in the city of media, which will be uh, shoving off on State Street uh, at 3 p.m., and the MC and entertainment will be provided by none other than Kane Callis, the son of Harry Ah, Callis. very nice. nice. You know what? I may like my kids live in Wayne. I may go. Pick yeah, up, I mean, pick it might be worth check out. The, yeah, Eagles Pep Eagles Pep band will be there. Uh, there'll be a bunch of mummers there. There'll be several local high school marching bands there, and uh, it'll be. Uh, let's get fired up for Super Bowl week. So nice. that's like, all gone down in media tomorrow. So Ray, you are the the. We're the voice that we respect, and um, we wanted you to give us kind of an initial breakdown of these two teams and how they match up. We know what the Eagles are. We watch the Chiefs a little bit, but let's right. let's do some matchups. And why don't we start with what is probably the Eagles' greatest strength? How does the Eagles' offensive line match up against Kansas City's defense? Uh, pretty good. Um, I think that that's the way I the way I size it up is the Chiefs have some have some terrific skill position players. Um, really, really good. Uh, I mean, game-breaker type players. But if you look at the total roster, top to bottom, um, the Eagles have more really good players and more depth, uh, and they're healthier. Uh, and I think that the, what you just put your finger on to me is key. Uh, it's the Eagles' offensive line, which really is their strength, uh, against the Chiefs' front seven, which is uh, – is good, but not great. And, I mean, they have one outstanding player in Chris Jones, um, but not so much beyond that. The other guys are kind of okay. Uh, the, uh, Carl Aftis, the, the rookie, is a pretty good player, um, but not a game-breaker. Uh, and the linebackers, I don't think, are a whole lot more than average. So I, I look at the Eagles' offensive line uh, being able to, you know, win that battle. And if they do, and the Eagles are able to run the ball, and uh, get first downs and control the clock, you know, they can keep those other Chiefs playmakers on the sidelines, works to their advantage. I, you know, I, I look at, when I look at the uh, Chiefs lineup and I see how, I see Chris Jones and he's, he's really good, but it's kind of almost like a New York Giants situation where they had, you know, a really, really good player in Dexter Lawrence in the middle of their defensive line. Um, and the Eagles just, Eagles offensive line, large starting with Kelsey, but not just exclusively Kelsey, really neutralized him. I mean, Dexter Lawrence, who totally took over their game in Minneapolis, was a non-factor in the game against Philadelphia because the Eagles offensive line and Jeff Stoutland came up with a plan that they were able to sort of take him out of the game, and I'm sure they're taking the same approach with Chris Jones. So, Ray, would the Eagles then necessarily need to rely on Jalen Hurts running the ball, putting himself at risk. I mean, we all know what a dimension that brings to their offense, but it sounds like you might be saying that uh, that's not something that they're going to necessarily have to lean on in this game. 
Um, no, I, I wouldn't say. You know, I wouldn't expect him to run the ball seventeen to twenty times. I don't think, and I don't think they have to. Um, I, I think they have to run it some, and you have to run it early to make Steve Spagnuolo aware that okay, they can do this pretty much any time they want to do it, but you don't want to overdo it. But they have to establish. They have to establish a few things early. They have to establish that they can run the ball straight up with power with Sanders and Gainwell, which I think they can do. That they can um, make plays in the passing game, and uh, you know, and Hertz can throw the ball down the field if he has to. You'll probably see a little bit of all of that, um, and and Hertz running RPO stuff. And I think they want to just sort of lay it all out there in their first couple of possessions, just to make the Chiefs think about, okay, we're going to have to defend all of this now, um, and that's key here because that's that's when the Eagles are their most effective when 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 the defense and the defensive coordinator have to play against their whole playbook or the perception that they have the availability of their whole playbook. Because it really, you know, at that point, they're dictating to you. And that's where you want to be as a coach. And that was really what the Eagles did uh, in the game against the Giants. And again, I, you know, I, don't, I don't want to start comparing like the Giants and the Chiefs are, or that no, similar. They're yeah. not. The Chiefs are way better. But I, I think that was where, in that game, um, the Eagles did a really good job of, of you know, hitting the deep ball to Smith early running some RPO stuff with Hertz early and just laid it out there that, okay, Wink Martindale says, all right, well, here we go. I mean, it looks like they can do everything. And as a coach, he had, to, he had to play against that, which obviously gave the Eagles the upper hand. All right, Eagles receiving core versus Kansas City secondary. Um, they got good players back there, but, not, but very inexperienced. A lot of young guys. A lot of young guys. Uh, and... Um, you know, you never know how young guys are going to react in this game. You know, I mean, it's the Chiefs had the Chiefs' pass defense last year was really was really porous, uh, and they knew they had they knew they had to improve there. And I, I felt bad for Spagnuolo last year because I think Steve's a good coach, but I didn't think that last year they gave him a whole lot to work with. Uh, and in the off season, I mean, they they took a deep dive into it and said, "No, we got to get better." And so they did, uh, and they brought in a, a lot of new young players in the secondary, and they're certainly athletically they're better than they were, but still relatively inexperienced, and certainly totally inexperienced in terms of coping with the Super Bowl. So that's you know that's an advantage you got. Now you could you could argue the other side uh, and say that well the Eagles receivers haven't been in the Super Bowl either. You know it's new to AJ Brown, it's new to Devontae Smith, but from what I've seen of those two guys, I don't think they're going to have a problem playing on the big stage we don't know about the chiefs defensive backs either um you know i think the eagles i think the eagle can make big plays against the secondary these guys are pretty good but uh right now when the eagles have their offense going and hurts is is throwing the ball well uh and you've got what are going to be perfect playing conditions obviously inside uh i think the eagles passing game will be very effective all right Ray. let's go to the other side of the ball if you're if you're going to neutralize Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey, you got to do one of or both of these two things. You either got to cover Kelsey, find a way to do that, or you got to pressure Mahomes to the point that you're disrupting the offense. Which of those factors is more important, and who do you think ends up covering Kelsey? Is there, you know, do you put an Avante Maddox or a C.J. Gardner Johnson on him? Do you move into the cornerbacks there? Do you play zone? Kind of take us through that the the thought process there. Well, I've, I've, I'm just, you know, this is just, I'm putting my defensive coordinator hat on here now, so I'm just, you know, this is just me. I don't know, you know, Gannon 
you know, Gannon will do what he wants to do. But it seems to me the teams that have had, not that anybody's had all that much success with Kelsey, because he, he makes plays pretty much on everybody. But the teams that have had some measure of success with him have combined two things. They've been able to get, they've been able to get a significant amount of pressure on Mahomes. Uh, and it always starts there. But the other part of it is you, you don't try to play Kelsey one way, that you try to mix up your coverages and put different people on them and bracket them sometimes and, uh, and do different things that make him have to think and make Mahomes have to think. The thing you can't do is make it predictable and easy because if you do, then, then they'll kill you. So you've got to mix it up. And I think all of the options that you laid out there are ones that I think you'll probably see, or at least I would guess you would see at some point or another. I think Gardner-Johnson will be on them some. Uh, I would think that Maddox if, yeah, and would really, really help. It would really help the Eagles if Maddox was healthy enough to play and play and play well because he's a, he's a very nice player back there. You can use him in multiple ways. Uh, and maybe in some situations – Swing one of the, your your corners over and put them on him. Um, you know, I would I would really like a Bradbury uh, on him matchup because Bradbury's got the size and he's got the length that he can play with Kelsey. You don't want to do it all the time, but to throw it out there as a changeup once in a while wouldn't be the worst thing. I think you just have to vary stuff, and you don't want to make it easy for both Mahomes and Kelsey to have a real sense of okay. We're in this situation, third and six. I know what the coverage is going to be. You always want to make them guess. Any matchups we have not brought up that you see critical next Sunday? I, uh, I, you know, we're, so much conversation is going to be about Jason Kelsey and uh, you know how how key he is for the uh, for the Eagles' offensive line, and he is. I mean, it all kind of starts with him, but. The, on the other side, the Chiefs, the Chiefs center is uh, is awfully ver- is awfully good. I mean, Creed Humphrey, he's only in his second year, um, but you know, when Kelsey finally moves on, whenever that <laughs> whenever that day is, when he finally decides to retire, um, Creed Humphrey could become the next great center. I mean, he's I. I I saw him play at Oklahoma. Uh, he was the guy that was sort of the bodyguard of Kyler Murray there. Um, I was actually watching tape back then just to kind of see Kyler Murray, and I kept looking and I said, who, who is this center? I mean, was anybody getting by him? Uh, and it was Creed, Murph, uh, Creed Humphrey. And the Chiefs very smartly, Andy Reid very smartly, as a guy who likes to build in the trenches, uh, drafted him last year in the second round. And uh, and he came in right away, made the all rookie team, got some all pro votes, and he's going to be when Kelsey moves on. It wouldn't surprise me if he becomes the best center in the league. He's I mean he's he's not that far behind now, and um, you know we've talked a lot about how getting pressure on Mahomes is key in this game, uh, and getting pressure up the middle uh, from Hargrove and Cox is critical. Well, they're going to have to get by Creed Humphrey, and that's not going to be easy. So you know there's going to be a lot of talk about Kelsey in this game. But the Chiefs center also bears watching. Ray, we're all here in Philadelphia familiar with Andy Reid, obviously. And I think there are certain uh, perceptions or impressions that people have of Andy. And one of them being, you know, within a game, maybe he doesn't adjust as quickly or as effectively as another coach might. To take nothing away from his career, he's a great, great coach. Oh, sure. How do you view what, how Andy might handle the game within the game? versus what Nick Sirianni has done and, and might do in a situation like this. If, if push comes to shove and a coach has to make a quick decision to change things up, to turn things around for his team, who's got the edge here? Um, yeah, it's a good question, Mike. Um, and the way you frame it is, um, 
it's worth considering because, you know, you look at their two careers and you've got Andy's got this incredible body of work built up over the years that, I mean, if he, if he never wins another game, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no question about that. And then on the other side, the guy who's going to be calling the shots for the Eagles is a, is a guy who's only in his second year um, and, and it still has a lot to learn. Uh, and, still, and certainly still has a lot to prove. Um, and, and you get into this game and you say, okay, let's handicap this. Who has the advantage? Good question. Good question. Because we've seen Andy, for all that he has accomplished, not coach well in big games. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's fair to say. I mean, we've all seen it. Oh, yes, we have. Oh, he's, you know, he's, I mean, oh, yeah, he's, we've well, lived he, it. You know, I, yeah, I know. And he's won, listen, he's won his share and more. Uh, and he's got a Super Bowl ring now, and he's got he's been in like a million championship games. But we've also seen him lose some of those games, largely because of bad decisions and poor clock management. So, you know, and Nick Sirianni to me seemed like a coach who handles those situations pretty well. Um, I, I would I would hesitate to say, yeah, I give the advantage to Sirianni in this game because. You know, Andy's accomplished too much to just dismiss him that easily. But the possibility that a young coach like Sirianni could could get the upper hand on Andy in a game like this, if it's close in the fourth quarter and those kind of decisions become critical, could Sirianni wind up getting the better of him? Yeah, he could. I mean, I mean, he could. I mean, you look at last week's game, the championship game, and you know, it was the Eagles won going away, but. I mean, there was an example of coaching decisions where the other coach made a terrible mistake. You know, Kyle Shanahan is a, is a really good coach, and he's a really good play designer, uh, and he's done really good work. And but his you know his non decision to not challenge the Devonte yeah. Devonte mm-hmm. Smith play on the first series is a it's huge. huge. Play. It was it's a, a huge, huge moment in the game. It's a huge, it's a huge non-call on his part. Yeah. And there's a case where, where a head coach with a lot of experience and a lot of accomplishment was in that situation and dropped the ball. And you know that can I don't I'm going to say that play lost the game for the 49ers because they lost it multiple ways, but it certainly got the game off to a terrible start. Well, Ray, it, should the Eagles win and should they win it uh, in part due to an Andy Reid mistake? Angelo Cataldi would be <laughs> able to just go to heaven at the moment. One <laughs> no, other I thing. Know. One other thing I just want to explore with you, because tomorrow I'm working with Jody, 10-1, to 1, and one of the things I want to do with Jody is, is compare uh, the three Super Bowl, the Eagles Super Bowl team of 2014, 2017, 2022, and like who's the best player at each position. Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, um, and, I guess, and I guess we throw in Brandon Graham, too. Are they better now than they were in 2017? Uh... Kelsey for sure. Wow! Um, wow. I think, uh, I think, I, I, in, in all honesty, and I've looked going back and looked at every game again this year. Um, Kel, this uh, to me, this was Kelsey's best year. It's amazing. I mean, I, man. I mean yeah, I mean, you're, talk, you're talking about a guy who this year, this five-time first-team All-Pro, um, now creeping into his middle thirties, and I would tell you, in terms of consistency and week-to-week performance. This was his best year. Mm-hmm. Wow. This was his very best year, and that's why you know everybody's everybody's trying to retire him. No, now. no, you know, no, 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 please. No, no, no. I mean, in terms of the question, I know, I know, because all, the storyline, all the questions, all the storyline is trying to lead him down to that decision. Right. Is this your last game? Blah blah blah. And you know, so far he's deflected it as he probably should. But I'm sitting back saying, <laughs> why did he retire? 
I mean, this was his best year. All now, right. I can understand if he wants to go out on top. That's that's his decision. But he he played he he played out of this world this year. Right, how about he the really other did. two guys? We know Lane is injured, but uh, you know, yeah. Discounting uh, what you've seen, the injury uh, is is Lane Johnson twenty twenty two version better than twenty seventeen. Yes, before the injury, yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Wow. And, 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 that, and that's not to say he didn't play great that year. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but he's, I mean, the guy hasn't given up a sack in three I, years. It's amazing. And Brandon Graham plays limited snaps but has more sacks this year than he ever has. Yes. Is he better this year than he was in 2017? Uh, I think he is, uh, because of the way they're using him now, he is more impactful. That's yes. amazing. Uh, you know, you got these veterans. Yep. I know we're not going to put Fletcher Cox in this conversation. No. I get that. But you have these veteran players doing this it's pretty astounding it really is astounding it, it it really is astounding and um you know the fact that the fact that brandon graham i mean at his age last year blows out his achilles which could very easily have been a career ender i mean really i mean a guy that age playing the defensive line tears his achilles um i mean it's it's 50 50 he's even going to come back again much less come back and be able to play effectively. And he comes back from that and winds up for his first double-digit sack year. Um, it's, uh, I give him tremendous, tremendous credit. for. I know, how, I know how hard it was for him and how much work he put in this offseason to get back uh, and then to come back and sort of accept the new role uh, and play as well as he's played and get to 11 sacks this year at his age coming off that kind of an injury is – just a tremendous accomplishment, and really, a cre- really, just a credit to him. He's and I, one of the things that you know, the, mentioning these guys as you do, um, I think one of the advantages the Eagles have in this game is, you know, they have great leadership on this team. I mean, that core group of veteran players are not just good veteran players, but they're great leaders too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's critical in a game like this because next week, from today up until tomorrow, next, a week from tomorrow. Uh, is a very critical time for how does a team handle this? You know, how does a team handle the Super Bowl? Uh, and for the guys that have never been there before, what they really need to look to are the guys who have been there before and how they handled it and how they can sort of walk these guys through it. Yep. You know, Chuck Noll Chuck once had, uh, said to me a great line. He said, you know, he's 4-0 and in Super Bowls with the Steelers. And he said, the key to it is don't lose the game before you play it. In other words, don't have a lousy week of practice. Don't have guys out partying all the time. You know, don't you know, don't get all caught up in the hype. Just remind yourself that you got a football game to play and be sure you prepare right. And I think the Eagles have the kind of veteran leadership on their team that the team will do exactly that. I love it. Ray, you're extremely confident. I'm not going to ask you for pick now because we'll be talking to you next week and I'm looking forward to that. Hey, I got Neil from the Northeast on hold, Ray, if you want to stick around. <laughs> no, oh, that's okay. man. Okay. All right. Well, listen, tomorrow. You can see Ray Dinger at the Wheelhouse, 106 East Lancaster Avenue in Wayne. He's got a book signing from noon to 2. It's always a pleasure. And, again, next weekend is Super Bowl weekend. uh, It'll be an honor to to be working with you then. I look forward to it very much. All right. Be well. Thanks, Ray. All right. Take care, guys. All right. See you then. There you go. He sounded pretty. Uh, he sounds pretty, pretty confident. Confident, right? Even uh, the, the, the fever that is sweeping across the Delaware Valley is even warming the brow. Of Raymond Dinger. I like that. All right, we, we're late for break. We'll come back. We'll get your calls. 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
Mike Sielski, Glenn McNeil, let me get a call, and then uh, I want to talk to Mike about something that he's got going on. Tom is with us. What are you thinking, Tom? Hey, guys. How are you? Great, hey, Tom. So I've been, I've been thinking about this. So this the birds are going to roll in this game. Okay. They're better everywhere on the field except quarterback and tight end. So from that standpoint, how did they not roll? How does this not turn into the Tampa Bay game a couple years ago? Well, look, I mean, Ooh, Mahomes yeah. is going to be... Which Tampa Bay game are you referring to? Because <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the, 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 the Tampa no, the Bay Tampa game a couple of years ago where I felt exactly the same way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> the Super Bowl. You're talking, know, he's talking about the, uh, the Bucks and Chiefs. I know. I know. Um, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you can make an argument that, well, I mean, look, nobody has a quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes and where last season the Eagles faced a gauntlet of really terrific quarterbacks during the regular season, including Mahomes. Uh, they have not faced the same caliber of player this season so maybe they struggle to defend him and everybody struggles to cover Travis Kelsey and the one game that the Eagles lost this season with Jalen Hurts at quarterback they committed what three or four turnovers so yeah. uh, they're going to have to play a clean game and while we've gotten accustomed to seeing them do that and to s- not seeing Jalen Hurts make dumb plays and do silly things uh, it's one game and anything can happen yeah, I think, I mean, here's the thing. that I think that the Eagles put up 30-plus no matter what, right? So the question is, can you keep, you know, unless Mahomes goes off, he goes right. crazy, I just don't see how they, you know, they kind of beat him up a little bit. I, I just kind of think this turns into a, you know, another route. I think they're that much better than that team. I think that there's no matchups. All right. I think the defensive line is going to roll. I think the offensive line is going to, they're going to run for 150 and they're going to throw for 200. Tom, from from your lips to Jalen Hurts' arm, my friend. <laughs> Let's hope so. All right, All right we'll, boy. we'll see. You. Thanks, Tom. Um, so you got a column that. Um, by the way, you're headed to Arizona tomorrow. I am tomorrow. And you will be there all week, leading yep. up to Super Bowl, writing stories, eating Tex-Mex. Uh, yeah, or, doing all kinds of things. You know, hanging out with Rihanna. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's happening. <laughs> um, and you got a piece, kind of. Looking at what's different between now and 2017, yeah, what, what's the perspective you're taking? All on right, that? so we're all thinking back today because it's been five years to 2017, and you know the ride that that team took fans on. And one of the points I made in the column that I'm going to make now is that often we don't see what's decisive in a big game until after the fact. Okay, so go back to that 2017 game. The Eagles were underdogs. Everybody acknowledges that. Nobody really expected them to beat the Patriots. Um, But they had two big advantages. One was that they had played a certain way all year. They were pedal to the metal. They were go for it on fourth down at a time when that was unconventional. And the advantage that gave them over the Patriots was that I think the Patriots went into the game saying to themselves, well, the Eagles will throttle back a little bit on the biggest stage. And there's that great clip from... Uh, when Nick Foles is about to run the Philly special where Deion Lewis, a Patriots running back, is on the sideline saying, oh, they're not going to go for it. Why would they go for it? Well, if you had paid attention to the Eagles all season, you were not surprised that they were going for it on fourth and goal in that situation, even against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So that was one. You know, in, in a certain sense, the Patriots weren't prepared for the Eagles. And the other thing that became a huge advantage that we didn't learn about after, until after the fact was that the Eagles had revamped the entire playbook. For Nick yeah. Foles. That, well, that's a, that's a huge thing because he had replaced Wentz and he was playing poorly those first couple right. Of games. Right, exactly. So then they go to a big run-pass option offense and it's more comfortable for Foles. And all of a sudden, Belichick doesn't have any prep work. 
because the the previous 13 weeks with Wentz have been totally rendered totally irrelevant. Yeah. So I tried to look at this game from that kind of perspective. And to echo what Tom, the caller, just said, I'm not sure there's anything to be surprised about. Like, I think the Eagles are really going to win and win kind of easily, I think. Wow. So I wrote this column. Are you saying that as a statement or saying that as a question? I'm saying that I wrote a column. Your your voice rose a little bit at the end of that. I wrote a column, and uh, the last line was, let's swing for the fences, Eagles 38, Chiefs 24. Wow. Really? Two touchdown win in the Super Bowl, Eagles. Next Sunday, Mike Sealski officially predicts it right here. The the worst, the biggest fear that a columnist, sports columnist has is the big take gone wrong. And, uh, you know, that's you, your job, you swing and miss sometimes. Right. That's, but That's it. You're a home run hitter. Yeah. You got you to gotta go with Come what on, your Reggie gut's Jackson, saying. Reggie Jackson, you know, it happens. Right. You know, we're, I'm not Vince Coleman. I'm Reggie Jackson. That's here. exactly so, right. Yeah. I, wow. Look, 38-24. I, I think Tom is right. I don't see how the Chiefs stop the Eagles' offense if the Eagles doesn't, don't stop their offense themselves. I, that's the only—you're right. The only fear is they beat themselves, and they've not beat themselves this year. Uh, I mean, the Washington game yeah. aside, right? Yeah, that's um, it. One time with Jalen Hurts. Right. They have not beaten themselves. Hurts is, doesn't throw dumb interceptions. He rarely fumbles the ball. The team doesn't play dumb. Sirianni has him playing really sharp, sharp, smart, Steichen, the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm inclined to believe it. I'm not making my pick yet, but, man, I listen to Ray's confidence. I listen to Baldy's confidence. I listen to your confidence. Yeah, it's it's a weird position. Yeah, it's, it is. We're not used to this. No, <laughs> no. I had it's funny as as I got. Uh, I had to go in the closet for something the other day, and, the, and I got the dog mask there that mm-hmm. they gave us back then. And I was thinking, ah, should I pull that out? I thought, not appropriate. No, it it's doesn't not, apply. The dog mask is it, not relevant. It does not apply. I mean, look, it's funny because you do you probably do the same thing I do, which is you watch some. And listen to some talk shows and podcasts around the country to get a sense of what mm-hmm. people right. are saying and their perspectives and things like that. And you get some blowhards and you get some people who actually yeah, know Nick what they're Wright talking about. Yeah, Nick Wright this week uh, is a blow. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to give him air. Yes, go ahead. But the point being, you know, the, the criticism and what we started the show off with, you know, this idea that anybody could coach this team or the yeah. Eagles aren't very good. Right. They've won two playoff games, 38-7. to and 31 to 7. 69 to 14. I can do that math. Yeah. It's and impressive. The complaints and the and the apprehension that you're hearing is well, the quarterback didn't play particularly well in either game. And you can make an argument he didn't, but they still won 38 to 7 and 31 to 7. They had four rushing touchdowns on San Francisco's defense, right? I, that doesn't happen because you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And but I think Purdy was not defending those ones. No. And I think we are so conditioned to not get over our skis when it comes to stuff like this. Yes. You don't ever want to, to take no, the, the, the championship for we, granted. We've been there. We had a caller at the start of the show say, listen, I I was inured by 1964. Right. And I think for a lot of people in this town who experienced it time after time, it's really hard. I started doing this, this job. When did I start doing this job? Uh, 1993. Mm-hmm. At, right after the the World Series, right. the, the Phillies lost, but whatever. And from 1993 to 2008, I didn't get to talk about the championship team. From 1983 to 2008, this town did not have a championship right. team. It was 100 seasons of four teams. That's easy math. Yeah. And then the Phillies won. And I think people felt really generally optimistic for four or five years. 
And then we kind of got back into the mm-hmm. like, uh, okay. and then the Eagles won for the first time since 1960. What you say is true. The Eagles are a better team. They ought to win. It's tough for people in this town yeah. to kind of say like, yeah, we are better. We're going to win. Yeah. No, it's it's not a natural pose no. for Philadelphia sports fans. It's fun, though. It just it's, isn't. This is so much fun. All right, Neil. Northeast, thanks for hanging in. Neil, I'm sorry I couldn't bring Ray on with you. But what's well, I'm just glad that he's a contributor again to your show because he adds to it all. The mic is very great. I mean, both your knowledge of, of sports and going back years, you know, I wish my memory was as good as yours, even though I've been following all the sports probably, uh, you know, a long I, time. I appreciate that. What are you thinking about next week? Well, uh, I... I um, I, I understand, like, the game about Tampa Bay, but I think that's the exception with Mahomes. So I'm expecting an Eagles victory, but I think Mahomes does, you know, have his moments because I think Mahomes still in the big games have usually passed over 300 yards as opposed to be bottled up. And I think the pass rush will get to him sometimes. Hopefully it'll get a turnover too. But I think with the Eagles running game and the, you know, with um, Brown and Smith and Goddard and, 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 and also the way Kenny Ganwell's look, Ganwell. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you're starting like, to mention I mean, every player on the roster. Well, <laughs> now I mean, we're in mean, down. Give us your prediction. An, what do you got? A- He's added an element of speed, and how he catches the ball out of the backfield. Like, it seems like really near the end of the season, he really picked it up. Or yep. so, you you are correct, Neil. What do you think? Well, I, I would say by 10 points, the Eagles win. And okay. I think Elliott's a big factor, too, because Elliott's hitting the long kicks. Yeah. And also, Sariani, like uh, Peterson, goes for it on fourth down. He and, does. And, and, and they make it about fourth and one. They make it about 80% of the time. Well, that's, so. that, that quarterback sneak is phenomenal. It is. It is. It's the surest thing going in sports, it seems. Yeah, and there's there's talk like, oh, they got to make that illegal, that the guys can push him. You can't do that. It's no. not allowed. You, you know what struck How me? How come nobody ever did that before? Good question. And you know what struck me coming out of the 49ers game, Glenn? And I don't know that anybody's mentioned this. I was surprised that people were surprised and thought it risky that Nick Sirianni decided to have the Eagles go for it on fourth and one from the Eagles' 34, 35-yard line. Like, in that moment, I wasn't saying to myself— Wait, are you talking about the beginning of the game? When it was 7-7. You're talking about the Devontae pass. No, I'm talking about oh, okay. when it was 7-7 and it was fourth and one at their own 34. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they okay. had hurt sneak. Because the Devontae was in a fourth down, which— was... That was fourth and three, but yeah. at least that was in 49ers territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This was deep in the Eagles' I, I know territory. The, I, know, I now know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I'm surprised that people were surprised at that. It's him. Yeah, that's, that. that's what they've done. More coaches do that now than used to, yes. which is a good thing. That's mm-hmm. one of the good parts of analytics is coaches have realized like, oh, it, like punting makes no sense. Right, exactly. Especially when you have Brett Kern. <laughs> we'll come back, grab a call or two, find out what we forgot to talk about. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, this cold winter, and trust me, today is cold. If it hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, hey, listen, the great people at Guided Door and Window, they're going to help. They're going to give you one more month to do it at the best prices of the year. Now, you haven't taken advantage of Guided's big winter sale. This is the last chance. You receive 40% off every window and door. That's 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window. It also includes free high-performance low-E glass. And you get 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. 
And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offers going to expire at the end of February, so don't let the big final chance pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight. Hi, Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. We're wrapping up. Uh, tomorrow I will be on with Jody Mack, 10 to 1. Uh, Meryl Reese is going to join us at the start of the show. Oh, you're kidding. It's, I, I really want to talk to Meryl about how this one's different for him, right? Yeah. I, you know, there can't be – I mean, every season is different, and again, we could bat around whether this is the best Eagles team of all time and whether it it will be if they win, which I think it will be. Um, but – this has to be, as it is for all of us, like a different kind of feeling for yeah, Merrill. Absolutely, sure. And uh, Kevin Nagandi of ESPN is going to join at eleven tomorrow. Kevin is is a great guy representing Philadelphia up there in Bristol, Connecticut. I a Temple alumnus. That. Yeah, I try not to hold that against him as a LaSalle guy, but <laughs> no. you know, okay. nobody's perfect. And you are flying out to Con- uh, to Connecticut. Well, you're flying out to Arizona tomorrow. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, uh, one forty-five. Nice. Very nice. So tonight you're uh, you're you're obviously staying in with the wife and kids. What's the plan? What are we doing? So the plan is we're going to order out. Uh, we're going to order chicken, and we are going to watch Castaway, uh, one of my favorite movies. Great movie. My wife loves it. Our two sons have not seen it yet. They got into this show alone on Netflix and Amazon Prime, where you you drop people into the wilderness and they have to survive on their own. So we figured, oh. you know, why not give them the consummate example of that? That's a great movie. And two hours of Tom Hanks talking to ah, a volleyball. Nice little family movie time. Yeah, absolutely. It's very nice. Order in a fried chicken, eat the, watch the movie. It's, it's, it's lovely night. It'll be a ball. Yeah. How about you? I am going to Wilmington tonight to the Delaware Theater Company, which is uh, my, my son-in-law is the uh, production director there, production manager there. And we are going to see One Man, Two Governors, uh, I love a play I've seen before that I love, a British kind of farce. It's mm-hmm. really a lot of fun, and that's my plan. You, who, you know who was in the opening of that show when yeah. it was? Go ahead. James Corden. James Corden. Yeah. Made, that's what made him famous, actually. Yep. That, that that put him on the map. Yep. All right. Let's uh, get Matt in Ridley. You're on 94 WAP. Hey, Matt. Mike, thank God you finally said it or somebody said it. You're absolutely right. We are going to roll and it's about time somebody wrote about it. Uh, I think you're spot happy on. Happy to help, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're spot on, and I want to scream from the heavens. You're spot on. You're right. Thank you for saying it on the air. Appreciate sure, it, man. Sure. I mean, look. You got it. I, I'm, I grew up here in this and feel and look at things in the same or a similar way that everybody else does, which is, you know, you never want to get too far ahead of yourself because if you didn't live through Chico Ruiz, you lived through Rondé Barber right. or oh. Cliff Lee in Game 2 oh. or, you know, whatever. And, but, you know, I, I get it, but they're better. They're the better team. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last caller of the day is Bruce in Ben Salary on 94 WIP. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Glenn and Mike. How are you? Hi, Bruce. Um, I wanted to share a, a dilemma. Glenn, I don't know if you remember me. I, I know that's the worst question someone asked you guys, like, get me to call. But I used to call you and Ray, and I used to talk about my son. He was a diehard uh, Penguins fan. Mm-hmm. And I, I, used to, I used to ask you about Uh-oh. him. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, so, what do we got now? Well, well, nothing there. Well, my son's been fortunate enough that he's been playing hockey for a long time, and his talents, when he was a sophomore in high school, has 
he got recruited by an elite program up in Lake Placid, New York. Nice. Where he is, wow. Yes, where he's a senior now, um, playing hockey. He's going to play Junior A Canada next year. Uh-huh. Okay. But this weekend of the Super Bowl is senior week up in Lake Placid, New York. <laughs> and they are having ceremonies timing. all weekend. And the last game he will be playing oh, no. is at 4 <laughs> o'clock. This four is o'clock. I, yes, Bruce, uh, Bruce. Bruce, to me, this is simple. H- how much do you love your son? I love my son more than Eagles. I understand. I so listen, Eagles. we 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 have to because we got to we got to go. But here's the thing: starts at four. Uh, th- that game, the, the, obviously, no commercials. Let's get that over by six thirty. Yeah, yeah. So just they have televisions in Lake Placid, yeah, right? Just or, or well, switch. I, I will be driving home from Lake Placid. No, 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 no. Go find it. Go find a, a a restaurant or a hotel bar, and that's that's your plan. And good luck. Yeah, you yeah. come home from Lake Placid yeah, on Monday. Starts at four. You're okay. Yeah, or okay. you know, assume for a second. I know we're being risky here. Assume for a second the Eagles win. Bruce is going to be so excited he will be able to drive through the night, the yeah. five and a half hours home from right. Lake Placid. Listening to us. See, Bruce, we solve your problems, there man. You go. you can good to call All right, in. let us go to our producer, Mr. Quinn. What mm-hmm. did we forget to talk about today? All right, well, uh, I wanted to start here because uh, I don't know about you guys. This news just absolutely shocked me. Kyrie Irving requested a trade <laughs> out of the Brooklyn Nets maybe just a month after ripping James Harden for being halfway out of the locker room last season. You know, I, I think... If he ended up with the Lakers, he would really give them a shot in the arm. <laughs> that seemed a little sarcastic. Sign me up. That's for, Kevin Durant for, for Westbrook, about, LeBron, and uh, uh, that, he's he's the worst of the worst. <laughs> he's, he's he's bad in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't want to start ripping the NBA right now. But if you were to say this is the problem with the NBA, his picture is the one that you post. Yeah, he's right up there. Right, also, uh, it, it, the Sixers pretty much immediately came out and said, "We will have no interest." No, in- yeah. no, 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 <laughs> no. Their chemistry is working right now. That's, yes. you don't want to bring that in. Agreed. Uh, so, speaking of James Harden, snubbed from the All Star game, this ends a ten year streak for Mr. James Harden. How do you guys feel about the snub? This is an outrage. It will not stand. This aggression against James Harden. Who cares? It's an all-star game. A lot of people they should, care. They should do away with all-star games. All I, sports well, I, I used to them. love all-star games when I was young. The baseball all-star game particularly. Um, they are, well, listen, football did scrub the all-star game. Um, mm-hmm. Hockey's got it this weekend. Uh, listen, he's having a great year, so I guess in that sense he deserves to go. Somebody's going to pull out, and he'll get in, and there you go. Yes, but okay. to answer Mike's question, Harden cares, and yeah. Joel Embiid seems to care too. So maybe you know, a little yeah, bit of a Joel chip Embiid on the shoulder. Gets, I love Joel, but he gets insulted by everything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the things that should not bother Joel Embiid seem to bother yes. Joel Embiid a lot. Yes, that okay. is correct. All, All right, right. Uh, one more thing on the Sixers. So they just beat the Spurs last night. They are uh, currently third in the uh, in the East, fourth best record in the NBA. Won nine of their last ten. Trade deadlines coming up Thursday. Who do you want to move? Thibel. Mm. Depends mm. on what you can get for him. There you go. You know, I mean, if you're rolling right now, Thibel yeah. for KD straight up seems like a oh well, a good yeah. deal. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Where did? I'm sorry, I didn't know that was on the table. 
Well, the, the Nets seem to be doing a little bit of a purge, uh, or maybe they will with uh, with the request. How, how about from Kyrie? So. Dikembe Mutombo is he available? There can, we go. Can they get him for yes. the championship push? That's a good one for one trade right there. Right, yeah, right, and, uh, and Mutombo. All right, one more thing. I just want to uh, want to give brief mention to the Phillies here because the MLB put out their top 100 prospects list. Andrew Painter checking in at number six, yeah. and he is the top pitching prospect. In the MLB, I'm getting currently. really excited about that kid. I know he's 19. You know, you can't you can't put too much hope on a kid who's 19. He could he could have a lot of setbacks, but um, all right, I'll ask you: Will he make the opening day roster? Yes. Yes. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.